The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop watching those videos on Channel 9 and listen up. It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik here to announce show number 59 with guest Bob Rieselman, recorded live Friday, April 9th, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VB.NET and ASP.NET classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the developer of Franklin Daughter versions 1.0 and 2.0, Carl Franklin! <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you, thank you. And uh, how about it for our stand-in uh, announcer, Jeff Maciolik? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, everybody, and welcome to another incredible episode of .NET Rocks. I am Carl. I'm in New London, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, my partner in crime, just back from the MVP Summit in Seattle with a tablet in one hand and Bomber's email address in the other. It's Rory Blythe. What's up? A little hungover. A little hungover. <laughs> Feeling good, though, about the new disclaimer. It makes me feel very official. Yes. You know? Yes. Now, we shall not offend. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, were gone all week. And you look pretty gone right now, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so the MVP Summit uh, was this week in Seattle. I couldn't attend, actually. I'm, I'm really sorry. And, uh, you know, I was teaching. But uh, you went, and you're not an, even an MVP, but you got invited to the summit. Yeah, I'm kind of like a fraud. An, an honorary MVP. You could call it that, or fraud works. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to go in spite of the fact that I'm not an MVP and for that I'm very thankful. What but, kinds of things did you do? At the MVP Summit. Oh, boy. Um, Besides drink. Oh, know. right. Well, you know, it was sort of like uh, Scott Hanselman described it best. He he said, you know what? This is like this is like a, this is like a concentrated tech head. So a concentrated tech head. That's what he said. He said, it's like a concentrated tech head. That's how he said it. That's why I'm saying it that way. <laughs> did he use the hands? The yeah, he did. The he, Jackie he, Mason he did the, Yeah, the, the Scott Hanselman <laughs> sort of delivery, yeah. And... Uh, and and he, was, he was right, I suppose. I mean, it was like a little mini conference with sessions and... And stuff like that. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. I feel like such a stupid jerk saying that, but... Um, That's all right. You know, there's papers to sign and things like that, and I hate people who say, I don't know how much of this I can talk about, blah, 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 blah. Right, but you're going to say it anyway. Yeah. So you had a little brush with greatness, I heard. Yes. Um, on the second day of the summit, during the exec 
talks, I placed myself front and center when I knew that Balmer was coming out. So I was right up there in the front row, and I think I might have accidentally taken Kirk Allen Evans' seat. Kirk, if you're out there, I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to do it. I saw an empty seat. There was nothing saving it. He did come up to me about 12 seconds into the talk, and he said, you got my seat. And I thought, I didn't know I had your seat, and then he just ran off. And I mean, it, I apologize, Kirk, if you were out there. I didn't mean to do it, but... Was he saving it? I mean, is, well, that, I don't know. is I, that legal? I, I, I didn't see anything on the seat. People were saving their seats with business cards and computers and babies and whatever they had lying around. Wow. And uh, there was nothing on this particular seat. So did Bomber seat. come out and say, MVPs, MVPs, no, MVPs, no, no, MVPs? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. He came out and he was, he was pretty energetic. Yeah, he always is. Well, I think he was really happy because he had spent the, the previous uh, uh, days and hours and weeks sitting with government officials watching you know his company get fined and yeah, beaten right. for no good reason and uh and i guess getting into a room with a bunch of nerds and just having a good time is a bit of a relief for someone like that so yeah so near the end during the question and answer session i threw my hand in the air and i sat there for about 10 minutes while he didn't call on me and in the end uh he said he was going to skip over me and i i argued i was <laughs> like come on steve you know i've had my hand up the whole time show me some love man so he eventually did call on me, and it was awesome. I got to talk to him for a while. I don't think I can what say. What did he say? I can't say. Oh, That's really? The thing. Yeah, there were. There you were, guys are under NDA. Yes. Yeah. Which which really sucks because I would love to talk about it. So so, yeah. so you can't say you're so under I, NDA. I can't say, and I feel really cheesy saying that, especially since I'd really like to talk about it. And it's yeah. not anything that people don't already know or couldn't talk about, but it's one of those issues where you sign something that says I won't talk about it. Right. I hate that. I hate that so much because I hate the jerks. Who just say, "Oh, I'd really like but to the tell fact, you," but, but the I'm fact under is, you NBA. actually got to speak to him, and you and you did yeah. some kind of flip, kind of coy stuff. And yeah, I got you made I, some smart ass remarks. I got, and, I got to be Rory. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I had a good time. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. And he actually singled you out. He's like, "I'm going to talk to you. Just hang on a second, right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. That's so, so cool. It was pretty cool. And the rest of the summit, you know, was uh, the usual thing. I got to see my usual buddies, Don XML, and I got to hang out with Sam Gentile, James Avery, and just a whole list of people. Right. Really be too too long to mention everybody, but I got to see a lot of a lot of friends and have a good time. So well, speaking of conferences, and particularly Tech Ed, um, so we had announced on a previous show that we're giving away a ticket, compliments of Microsoft, to Tech Ed, to a lucky listener. And we tried to come up with some clever way that we could give it away. Um we do want listeners to be online and to be listening to the live show. Uh, and we had come up with this elaborate thing, you know, where we would give out <laughs> clues. too complicated. <laughs> it was really complicated. So we said, F- that. We're just going to give it away the way we give away everything on, uh, on the show. But here's the deal. You, we're going to give it away sometime in April to a lucky listener, just like we give away the boxes of uh, Windows Server 2003 and all that stuff. But we're not going to tell you when we're going to give it away, but we're going to give it away sometime between now and the end of April. So you have to be listening live, and uh, and there you go. Compliments the, Microsoft. This is much better than the old plan. The old plan was something like, now listen to show 22. We have yeah. inserted a letter in I the know. 36th minute, and you have to record this letter, hold it up in the mirror, look at it, translate it into Greek, and yada, yada, yada. There was yeah. this really big, complicated puzzle. But, Nobody's uh, going to do that. Yeah, forget right? that. Screw that. So, Oh, and try to only enter this contest if you don't already have a ticket to TechEd. That's right. If yeah. you already have a ticket to TechEd, Sorry. Nobody likes the jerk win. who shows up and is like, I got two tickets, right? right. Nobody likes that person. So. And uh, we will uh, feature you on our 
.NET Rocks show that we're going to do at TechEd, uh, assuming that you can make it, of and course. that you want to be on the show. That you want to be on the show, you know, that you want to hang out with the likes of us. Anyway, Rory, this is the time in our show when we read the email. Now, I only have one email that's worth reading. Whoa. Uh, I did get a couple more, but, you know, they were less than less than complimentary. No, I won't say that. Just one, one guy went on and on and on about how, how about VB is the COBOL of the future. And, uh, you know, <laughs> thanks. I'm not going to read that. So this one comes from Michael Kennedy, and it's about object spaces. You know, we did the show on object spaces with Kevin McNish. Hey, Carl, I've been seriously listening to .NET Rocks the last month or so. I've just about listened to the more recent half of your shows. It's almost time to start at the beginning with the older ones. I really enjoyed them all. I was listening to your show with Kevin McNish about object spaces. I'm a big fan of typed data sets, so I expect object spaces will be right up my alley. I'm writing to let you know that a friend of mine, Scott Bellware, has written the best object spaces overview article I've read to date. And it's at 15seconds.com. Uh, I actually went and looked at it and read it. It's really, really good. So we put a link to it up on, uh, up on the page for this show. Keep on .NET rocking. Regards, Michael. And Michael, we're going to send you a uh, .NET Rocks uh, coffee mug just for being such a cool guy and letting us know about that. So not too much happening in the, in the mail department today. So we now come to the point in our show when we do a segment we like to call Google Weirdos. And this is Rory's segment. And Rory, why don't you tell everybody what this is? All right. Just to drive the regular listeners nuts and give them this explanation again. We're going to have to explain it yeah, on every, every show. single time. Yeah. So get used to it. Get used to it. Google Weirdos is the segment that I do where I read off the Google searches that have led people or misled people to my site, neopolian.com. Um, a lot of these people obviously had no intention whatsoever of ever reaching my site, and that's pretty evident in some of the searches, while others had every intention of getting there. Because people who are up and, and, and familiar with Google Weirdos know that I'm going to be checking my Google referral logs. So they've actually started sending me email through Google or little messages through Google, which is pretty cool. And last week, Chris Sell suggested that people begin sending me images through Google, Base64 encoded. Now, that was extremely clever, but it turns out it doesn't work. Somebody out there was trying to do it, and he just couldn't get Google to take the string. It was too long. So I typically start out with the complimentary or inflammatory, whatever they happen to be, shout-outs to me through Google. People have actually been communicating to you through by, right. this by is, going this to is, Google. This is, Google is now my own personal one-way cheap email transport <laughs> system. So the first like 9 million searches this month were actually the result of my friend Jason Olson setting up a TPing of my referral logs. I don't know if anybody out there reads my blog or remembers, but... A few weeks ago, Chris Sells went out of town with his family, and they went to all these amusement parks. And while he was gone, I decided to TP his comments section on on his site. So there were about TP. A, what does that mean? TP toilet papering. It's like when you're a kid and you go, you find the teacher's house. You you hate this particular teacher. You're mad at him or whatever, and you TP that. Just to you, play you a just, joke. Yeah, you throw TP all over the house and all over the trees and everything. Or right. somebody like one of your friends, you know, just for fun. Sure, yeah. just for fun. Or somebody gets married, so you TP their house. Yeah. Or you're Chris Sells and you go on vacation <laughs> and you tell everybody on your blog that you're not bringing your computer. 
And you know that person is wide open for a T-Ping. So I thought that was funny because I went and I read Chris Sell's blog and, and there was 9 million comments <laughs> with people going, TP, TP, TP. Yeah, we, we TP'd the hell out of that thing. So <laughs> Jason Olson got me back because I went off to the MVP summit and he decided to TP my Google referrals. So there were just tons in there. Um, a lot of variations, but the general gist of it was, you know, to Rory TP, I blame no one. And then one of them that I really liked was Tarori TP paybacks a bitch. I don't know who did that. Maybe it was Chris, but uh, but yeah. Wow. So there were there were a lot of TPs in there. <laughs> That's from my friend Jason Olson out at geekswithblogs.net slash J Olson. All right. Aha. So, so getting on to the other shout outs, um, we've got Rory Blythe is the Google God. That's Mark Kenyon, and I got to thank you for that, Mark. You know my. My ego is bruised every week by a whole deluge of inflammatory, angry, not exactly fan mail. And it's these things that keep me going. So thank you. <laughs> and uh, moving along, we've got Google weirdos, Google weirdos. I hear them everywhere now. Google weirdos. What did you put in my head now? Google weirdos. I think you can see it now. Google weirdos. I am a Google weirdo now. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yep. Here's a good one. Roy Blythe, your minions are ready. I like that. An army of minions, all just for me. And here's one from Google. Rory, this is Google. Stop using me for email. That's pretty good. And now here's the most complex Google weirdos shout out I've ever gotten from anybody ever. This is a five-part search. Oh, my God. And the person numbered them. So they start with one slash five, and then it goes on to two slash five and three slash five. So this is a very clever person here. So one, this is the .NET story of Carl and Rory. Two... They produce .NET shows with a segment called Google Weirdos. Three, we listen to .NET Rocks every week to hear Roy Blythe being a funny geek. Four, I hope you all agree this should belong to Google Weirdos history. Five, P.S. Carl, I, like Rory, am a C-sharp developer and my hair couldn't be any better. Ah, uh, okay. So, got a little message to you out there too. Good, good, So that good. that's the end of the shout outs. Now I move on to the true, the weirdos. true weirdos. These are the people who are not trying to get a hold of me and who wish they never had. And sometimes they're not they're not too weird and I have to embellish or I have to kind of add my own color or I'll create a theme. You'll just they, you know, you'll, but, you'll but get the key is they here. didn't intend to land on your website. Exactly. They, just, they yeah. did. They were looking for something else and they bumped into you. Yeah. So the first one is just say no to piss test projects. And <laughs> and I just wanted to agree with that. I, I find nothing more humiliating or offensive than having to take a drug test before before a job. I've had to do it a couple of times in my life and you know, I, I just can't stand it. I'm totally drug-free. You probably don't believe it, but I am totally drug-free except for the occasional drink. And hmm. I just don't like the idea that somebody would even want to hire me if they suspected that I wasn't going to be able to do the job. And I also, by the way, am drug-free. I yeah, don't, I don't we're all do drug drugs. Free. It's kind of hard to believe, but yeah. So the next <laughs> Especially one Especially after hearing that weirdos <laughs> right. theme. The next one is stripped and cavity search. And I just wanted to say that this is where it's going to go if we don't start saying no to piss tests. All right. <laughs> and here's a Google weirdo. We got... Pimples picks gross best. All right, what? So, so so maybe piss testing isn't all that bad. Right? So somebody <laughs> entered in those four search terms into oh, yeah. Google. Pimples. Pim- no, it's one search. T- oh yeah, yeah, that's exactly okay. right. This is a phrase, basically. Right. Pimples picks gross best. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that means. Moving oh. along. We've got. How do you? I don't re- even want to imagine what they were looking for. <laughs> right. Well, they didn't find it on my site. Apparently. So here's one. How do you remove an older version of Messenger? I tell you what, here's what you do, okay? You're paying attention, here's what you do. Take your computer out back, cover it in gasoline, light it on fire, and bury the ashes, all right? If if Messenger still isn't gone, then get 
in contact with me directly, and I'll get you in touch with a voodoo priest I know. I like this one. You try to close Messenger while Outlook 2003 is open, and Good it luck, says, my friend. oh, no, <laughs> you can't <laughs> do that. Good luck. Yeah. And if you don't install it, it just happily reinstalls itself. Yeah. It's, it's a tough piece of software. Yeah. yeah. Voodoo, my friend. That is the only way. <laughs> Here's another one. Rats opposable thumbs human intelligence. Ooh. I mean, this is like a mad scientist in the making. Rats opposable thumbs human intelligence. Are the rats with the opposable <laughs> thumbs and human intelligence ready yet? <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're coming. Here's another one. Dentist pain while drilling. Now, that's a nice little Ooh. change there, isn't it? The dentist gets the pain instead. I like that. Very good. That, that's a good deal. I think we should definitely endorse that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you do that, but we reach out and squeeze. Anyway, so how to compile ASP.NET project. Um. I like to use mm. the compiler I myself. Like to, I, I find that usually works. And you generally don't. Uh, you don't have to do any of that. You just get the site and it compiles. Although, I mean, if you if you have all your code behind and you have all you this have and you have all you that, have yeah, compile, then, yeah. yeah, you compile. I, I, I would never put together an ASP yeah, site without code generally behind. generally press F5. That, that works. <laughs> it's a good way to do it. So use the <laughs> compiler. That's that's my big tech tip for you today. <laughs> Lobster DK yeah. says kick the dentist <laughs> in the nads. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a good way to... That's probably from the chat room. That's a good way to, yeah. uh, to hurt your dentist. <laughs> Unless your dentist is a woman. Um, like mine, actually. Although she's really nice. Okay, Moving okay, along. okay. All right, we've got we've got <laughs> lick cheese of toes. Oh, oh, god! <laughs> I got state lunch too. <laughs> Don't do that to me, man. Yeah, I, I didn't disgusting. Know. Not my idea. That is, you can't say that. <laughs> That's just gross. Moving on, we've got uh, why is my microwave humming? You know, I I don't know, but have you seen Poltergeist? Have you seen the movie Poltergeist? <laughs> I don't know why your microwave is humming, but you know, I got some ideas. <laughs> I like this one. This is not a search. This is someone who was just really happy and wanted to share a little bit of news, but ne- but didn't know where to do it. It's just, I got $5,000. I got $5,000. <laughs> That's a cool Google uh, Google search. If I got $5,000, I'd probably do that too. Moving on, we've got my drawings while on peyote. Ooh. Yeah, you Googled for him because you minute. forgot where you left yeah, them, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to say, why is he looking for my drawings? <laughs> you don't know where they are, do you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Moving along, this complements the lick cheese of toes. Um, we've got cow testicles for dinner. Okay, Rory, I want to know how what matched on your site. I don't want to know what matched cow on my site. Cow testicles for dinner. Uh, no, I mean, everybody has their hobbies, and some of these posts <laughs> just slip by, and yeah, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Oh, Moving on, we've got, we've got science labs and bananas. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in there. <laughs> Uh, moving on, we've got seal dinner. Oh. Maybe you can hang out with the guy who's eating all the cow testicles. You know, you'd have a real nice yes, potluck. I'd, I'd like a seal club <laughs> sandwich, please. <laughs> with a side of cow <laughs> testicles for dinner. <laughs> and there's there's a real dinner theme here because we've also got ponchos for dinner. You know, in my mm. place, we just we just eat socks and underwear. Yeah. You know? We don't go for the ponchos. They're and too then, slippery. And lastly, there's a bad word in this one. All right, so are you ready? I'm giving you ample warning here in case you're at work and you're listening Put the like on the PA or something. Get ready, everybody. Hide your ears. It's going to be the SH word. All right, so here we go. Here's the bad word. Splenda, which is, of course, an artificial sweetener. Splenda makes your shit sweet. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know that? Good Lord. How do you, you know? You can't say that, man. <laughs> I mean, the first question is, why do you care? And the second is, how do that, you know? How, yes, this is... Uh, 
That is, is a weirdo. That, that is, is an a honest serious, God weirdo. Serious weirdo. Yeah. yeah. And that is Google Weirdos for the week. Weirdos, weirdos. Weirdos, weirdos. Weirdos, weirdos. So, uh, Rory, our guest uh, today is uh, an old friend of mine and uh, an incredible, incredibly talented author and developer in his own right. Uh, Bob Rieselman, and he has written this book called Coding Slave that claims uh, the software industry doesn't want you to read it. And I have a copy of it right here. It looks like it's it's bound like a manual, you know, a computer manual with a comb binding, and it's like this all-black front that has in, you know, like, uh, what do they call that? Just like typewriter font. Sure, it it actually looks like the manual for my Timex Sinclair one thousand. Yeah, yeah, and it's small. Except it's, it's not thicker. Yeah, it's it's you know about a three quarters of an inch thick, and I don't know nine inches long or something like that. I don't know what I'm <laughs> sounds like I'm describing, but uh, I just wanted to give you the impression that it's smaller than your average book in size. Apparently, doesn't matter. I like that. Yeah, actually, I, I like I like the idea of the novella more than the novel. I mean, running yeah. something down to around one hundred and fifty hundred pages. Yeah. That's good for the lifestyle of the coder because a lot of us don't have time to sit and read War and Peace. Absolutely. And this is a, so it's a novel called Coding Slave. I'm going to let him uh, <clears throat> introduce the book and talk about the book. But let me introduce Bob. Bob is a software developer and technology writer who's been making code and writing about code since before Java and as far back <laughs> as VB version 1.0. Bob is author uh, of the just released, Bob is the author of the just released novel Coding Slave. He's also the author of four books on computer programming, including Active Server Pages 3.0 by Example and Practical Visual Basic. Bob is an ongoing contributor to informit.com, informit.com, and a new contributor to Ziff Davis's DevSource. Bob is the former chief technology officer of a wallstreet.com, former principal consultant with Capgemini, and former platform architect for the computer manufacturer Gateway. For a while, in the not-too-distant past, he was playing bass in an R&B band in southern Austria. Bob presently lives in Los Angeles near the beach. Won't you please welcome Bob Rieselman? Hey, Carl. Thanks. Hey, all right. How hey, are you? Hey, dude. 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 <laughs> dude hanging out at the beach. Uh, yeah, yeah, about 100 yards away. How long have you wow. lived in the beach? At, uh, on the beach? I came here in May. Wow. I came here in May, man. From where? Uh, New York. Yeah, that's um, right. Now I remember you sort of used to hang out with the the old Crescent Software gang and the Vbits gang. And yeah, that's up when I was up in Boston. I mean, <laughs> I sound like I'm on the lam here. Right. Um, yeah, I was I was in Europe for a while, and uh, as I said, you know, living in Austria, playing in a band, and it was time to come back. And uh, as we all know, not a lot's happening in New York these days. So here I am in L.A. Right. Right. So, uh, I, yeah, I remember you from the olden days, and and uh, you got in contact with me about this uh, book, and you sent me a copy. And I tell you, it was it was an engrossing book. I didn't really realize it was a novel until, you know, I was reading a, a bit into it, and you know, the sex kind of gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is not a commentary. This is fiction, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Software yeah, development, yeah, and sex. Everybody likes fiction. the sex. Yeah, it's something about the sex they like. Right, but but you're talking from a developer's point of view. This is a novel about coders, and in it you have references to things that only coders are privy to, you know, the kinds of 
people you meet and the conferences that you go to and about coding and software development in the process. So it's really like a novel for us. Yeah, yeah, it's a novel for us. And uh, actually, but it, I, wrote it, um, I wrote it for my father could understand it. Right. You know, he, he was one of my beta testers. I, I was going to say that. You do a very good <laughs> a job testers. of explaining to the, to the outside world, as you say, you know, what the inside is all about. Yeah, 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 thanks. Um, yeah. So tell um, us what this book is about. I, I mean, from the person who doesn't know anything about it, you know, if you want to explain it in the elevator, what would you say? Uh, the book is about a, a young lady who is an Indian contract programmer who comes to the United States and uh, gets involved in an ERP implementation, and through that implementation, the whole world changes. Now define ERP. Uh, enter, enter, uh, enterprise Resource Package, uh, SAP, Bon, Oracle, uh, Financials, all those big um, software companies, that uh, software packages that make the uh, big software companies go. Okay. Or like, geez, like for example, I think actually SAP runs Microsoft now. And uh, I know they do GM. I know <laughs> Not bon. the other way around. <laughs> Excuse me? Not the other way around. <laughs> uh, no, Microsoft yeah, doesn't run not the other way around. SAP, yeah. SAP runs Microsoft. Uh, SAP runs. My, I could be wrong. I don't know what ERP. Maybe they've come up with their own right now. But e, as um, ERPs are, you know, they're very big packages. They cost about ten million bucks, and they're wow. made to run the world. All right. So, so it's about this uh, young woman, and her name it uh, resembles a, has a striking resemblance to a a condition of heartburn. Is that is that <laughs> Was right. that uh, on purpose? Uh, no, naturally not. Uh, Ajita no, is her name, part, you know, right? Right, the name of Ajita Orthamawani. Right. And yeah. so when I first read that, I read it Ajita. Yeah. yeah. Ajita, yeah. Ajita. Ajita, yeah. Ajita's a big one. Anyway, so, anyway. T- so it's about her. Mm-hmm. And uh, anymore, I'd be giving it away, and then people wouldn't buy the book, and oh, then they'd well, be wanting to download it That's not it enough, online. though. I mean, what? That's not enough. <laughs> right. You're okay, going to so, have to okay. give a little bit here. <laughs> Well, okay. Um, well, let's do. Uh, what do you, okay, ask a specific question. I'll give you a specific okay, answer. Okay, what's it about? It's about, <laughs> <laughs> it's about uh, a young Indian contract programmer woman who comes over to the United States. What's her name, though? Uh, Ajita. <laughs> her name is okay, Ajita. Okay, we're going to take some callers for Bob Rieselin right now. If you've got she, any questions uh, goes at all. to work on an ERP implementation in a uh, Midwestern <laughs> agri-conglomerate, and uh, through the ERP implementation, the whole world changes. Okay. Uh, I, uh, now, but, you want to define ERP for everybody? Uh, <laughs> an ERP is an exercise. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Actually, it's in the glossary. Come the on, book come does, on. Right, the book does ship with other software. Uh, I need to say that. The book is modeled after a piece of software. Actually, the book is software. It was designed to be software. The whole development process was that which you would do as a software developer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had, I, went through, uh, I went through a whole alpha period and a beta period. And I had people read it and get back to me. Um, I even bundle a piece of other software with it. I ship uh, one of the platonic dialogues, the Menno, uh, mm. with the book at no charge to the consumer. Yep. Platonic, Plato. Well, well, Plato. It, it, yeah. Yes, I, Plato, the Menno. The Menno is really about, um, it's about many things, but one of the questions Socrates asks Menno, or some people call it Mino, is uh, what's the best way to train physicians? Do we have? Uh, do we send them to teachers, or do we send them to the other physicians? And so, I'm, uh, uh, I, I think the more appropriate question is, you know, well, why, well maybe not appropriate. Well, why'd you write the book, or tell me about the history? And that's where the I'm book. sort of going, Bob. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, that's where I'm sort of going. Because yeah, so, this is kind of an unusual deal, right? It is. A developer who has written a novel. I mean, I've been working on this myself, and I'm really jealous, and there's a bit of spite in okay. me because you accomplished it. But I mean, I'd love to hear about the process. 
Because well, this, this um, well, is an unusual well, let, thing. Let's, let's have you answer the question about why you wrote it in the first yeah. place. Um, I wrote the book because I had to. Um, <laughs> it's like, why do people, you know, go down in a basement for three weeks and write this code that maybe six people in the universe will use and then come up afterwards and felt like they've done something? It's because you have to. After a while, as a developer, the people I know who are really, truly gifted, and there are many of them, um, they code because they got to. Yeah. They don't really have a choice anymore. Yeah. And actually, in Chapter 25 of the book, I talk about that, which is Raphael's affair, about just coding because you got it. Here's, there's this uh, character in the book called Raphael Martinez who's a um, – he works uh, – his parents are um, work on the meat line. The uh, mm. conglomerate owns a meatpacking factory. Mm-hmm. And he finally gets a job coding, getting paid to code. Yeah. And it's about his whole um, – transformation of going through the coding process of actually becoming a professional coder. But regardless, he has to code. And there becomes a point in life where things transpire in the book where he no longer needs to make money. And he still finds himself that he's got to code. Right. And he still finds hmm. himself subjected to the actually the joys and their str- stresses of having to code. You, you know what's funny about that? What? Is I've been thinking that I want to retire early so that mm-hmm. I can sit around and just code whatever I want. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, you yeah, hit like, on something there. Yeah, it's like Alexander the Great said, you know, my only worry in life is that there'll be no more countries left to conquer. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like I, I worry about that. There'll be no more code left to write. You know, right. that's one of my big, that's a big fear for me. You know, I, tell, I tell you, Bob, I, I really had to restrain myself from trying to figure out what your point was, you know, which is always something that you should do when you read a novel don't you know don't try to make sense out of it just just read and enjoy the book and uh you know it'll become obvious mm-hmm. but as i was reading the very first prologue and i'll, I'll read this here um which i it just startled me it was like a slap in the face you know and i just had to keep reading this is the prologue of coding slave quote them send the code to india end quote A momentary silence filled the room as the impact of her statement settled on the faces that surrounded the table. Walt, the face closest to her, spoke. Catherine, do you know what you're saying? This is not New York or the Bay Area or even Austin. This is the deep Midwest. People are going to get more than a little upset at the idea of putting high-paying American programmers out of work and sending their jobs off to India of all places. This is going to piss off a lot of people. Programmers are not the only ones that are going to feel the impact. These guys don't make minimum wage. They make real money, and they spend it here. We're talking about classic trickle-down, Catherine. This will set a real precedent. A quarter of the people in this town are involved in some sort of technology work. This is going to hurt an awful lot of people. Walt's comment provoked Catherine. She had not slept for the past two nights and was beginning to show the irritability that accompanies sleep deprivation. Walt, that goddamn system controls us. This has got to change. The only module that is working is payroll. Not the general ledger, not inventory, not purchasing, not sales, not HR, just payroll. Walt, we have just spent $5.2 million for a fucking payroll module that I could have bought from QuickBooks for $99. This is unbelievable. We have a horde of programmers downstairs doing God knows what at an astronomical burn rate, and all we have is fucking payroll. That goddamn system is supposed to help us be more competitive, not drive us into bankruptcy. (laughs) Catherine realized that she was losing control. She was using profanity out of anger and frustration rather than to make a point. This was a sure sign that sleep deprivation was setting in. You want to keep the jobs here and still bring the implementation in on budget, Walt? Tell you what. 
Get everybody at this table to take a 30% cut in salary for starters. Get that to happen, Walt, and we have the beginning of something to talk about. The other faces around the table looked to Walt. Walt was about to say something and then stopped. He looked down and began to scribble on his yellow legal-sized notepad. Sorry, Catherine, he said. This is a bit of a shock. It's going to take some getting used to. The faces looked away from Walt and started to scribble too, as if the scribbling fairy had visited Walt first, then one by one cast a spell upon each of them, allowing them to share threads from a common well of single thought. Each face scribbled away in his own handwriting, contributing to the common current event to which he would be party and to which he would make every effort to avoid responsibility. The decision had been made, and Catherine Limeleaf was just the one to make it. This was not her first implementation. She had suffered sleepless nights before. All she had to do was to get the burn rate down, she thought to herself. Then I'll sleep again. C1ERP, you've seen them all. Carl Franklin, everybody, audio book performance artist. Really, Carl? You can do the audio <laughs> version, man. Great. I, I, feel, I feel like we've got one of those old uh, radio serials going on now. Yeah. Tune in next yeah. week with your Orphan Annie Dakota ring. Well, yeah. that, that, that's but, a pretty awesome way to start a yeah, book. I mean, that is something. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the scary, that's, um, the scary thing is how not terribly fiction that was. No, actually, yeah, it is. It isn't right. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you know, the, the book begins. You know, all characters in this book are fictitious. The situation's less so. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, that you know, that's how it is. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've sat in more than one um, situation where money was actually burning out the window. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah, it's, right. it's yeah, really it's, so, it's so very, very common. Was, excuse me. It's very common. You get a lot of people who don't know what they're doing or who don't necessarily care about their jobs that much. And you do wind up with situations where all we've got is the bleeping, you know, uh, uh, system, yada, yada, yada. And we're well, throwing money at the window. There right? are certain realities about a business. And that is if it's not paying for itself, then it doesn't exist. Right. And, you know, as a business owner, I, I see both sides of that coin. I see the side that says, well, you got to take care of your employees and you got to do what's right by them. But I see the other side that is if I keep if I if I throw money at them without having them produce something that can bring that money back, then eventually they're they're going to uh, not be able to pay for themselves, basically. Yeah. Uh, Carl, allow me to disagree with you. All right. Sure. Yeah. Um, your business and I have great respect for your business. I've always had great respect for what you do. It takes a lot of guts to get up in the morning and actually try to make it in the world is based on pretty much. Um, Here's my service, I sell it, and I get some money for it. Or right. here's my product, and I sell it, and I get some money for it. And actually, it's a resale model. Right. That's only, okay. one, that's only one model. Sure. There's another model that says, um, which was really fueled, in my experience, the uh, dot-com bubble, which right, says, right. look, you know, revenue is really not important. It's really valuation. And when you have companies out there that are publicly traded, um, it's real really about what's their perceived value. So if I take, um, let's say, $6 million, mm-hmm. and I'm a, let's say I get five of my friends together, and we put together a company for $30 million, and there are people out there that do that, and we have a company that's now valued at day one at $30 million in capital equity. Yeah. Now, if we can actually get this company going for a year or two and make it go public and then recapitalize it for another Hundred and fifty million dollars. I guess the difference is yeah. I was talking about business. You're talking about thievery, which uh, is no. I'm talking about business. Well, um, no, 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 no. And I mean that to support your point. I mean yeah. the the that these you know the corporations that uh, went in into this dot com craze 
And, you know, they were all about trying to make big stock money and then cash out and steal it, basically. Right. And, well, and there's other examples presently now. Look at, I mean, I, I'm more ignorant than I'd like to be, but SCO is probably a very good example of, you know, somebody yeah. profiting, you know, the whole point of, to my understanding, of the whole SCO, SCO suit is potential profit from litigation. Right. So it's not gone away. Yeah. It's still there. It's there every day. I mean, it takes a lot of money to keep our economy going. Right. I mean, the idea, I mean, you know, how many, I've done, you know, um, I've done pitches where I say, look, you know, I need a million dollars. And they say, what do we get back? I say, well, you get back 20 million. And they say to me, that's not enough. It's too small. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's common. People want to know if, you know, the deal is big enough for That's them. insane. Well, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, in my world, uh, I'm a small business and, and it's a, I have a very direct relationship to the business model. Mm-hmm. And if I don't generate revenue, you know, the people that, that uh, are working don't get paid. And that's right. just a very real, the very, a real reality for me. Oh, it is. So, and it, it's very, it, and it's and one of the reasons, um, not the reasons, but one of the things I enjoy about LA and I enjoy about New York is that that business model is still viable here. Right. Hmm. It's no longer really viable in other parts of the country. For example, if you're if you want to open a, a taco stand in, um, you know, uh, Great America Mall someplace, yeah, anywhere. yeah, forget yeah, it. Yeah, try. You can't do it. You can't do it. Can't do it. Those days are well over. So really, a lot of those book ta- the book doesn't talk directly about that. I'm really concerned more about the plight of programmers and why this insanity right. is happening. Right. And you know, the easy things say, well, it's thievery, but you know, there's a, there's a real fundamental reason. I think to look at what's making this happen, because okay. we, you know, we're all at we're all, you know, you know, I hate to use that, you know, either we're part of the problem or we're part of the solution. So pick right. a side. Well, uh, I I want to re- read another part um, from all jumping r- 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 real quick, Carl. Before you do that, sorry, go can, ahead. Can I ask you a question that's going to make me sound a little naive here? Sure. Because I mean, we, we don't usually get to have this sort of discussion on the show, and I'm actually pretty interested, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are too. Yeah. So you get in front of people, and and you're asking for a million dollars. And they're mm-hmm. saying what we're going to get back, and you say twenty million. They say no, that's not enough. Is it because they're expecting you to fall short of that goal, and they want to make sure that you come back saying, "Well, I can get you back sixty million, just so that they will get back that twenty million? Is it? Is no, it, um, no, it's not even about that. It's about that it's just not big enough to interest them or to huh. interest their equity position. Wow. Okay. Um, I had a fr- I had a friend who actually was in. Um, this is not about software. He actually did pharmaceuticals, and he put together a. Um, a, uh, uh, a consortium uh, to buy out actually brand names of pharmaceuticals. They own the brand, and they wanted to. Um, they actually they wanted to purchase the brand names, mm. and then redistribute them under their own manufacturing factory someplace in the world. Mm. And they went to a very big a very big investment bank, which I won't name here, but is in New York and is down on Wall Street. And they presented the plan. They had 15 minutes to present the plan. Right. And they just said it's just not big enough. Hmm. I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to get what sixty million dollars. Our portfolio is, you know, four billion. Right. So, <laughs> what do we care about? This? Yeah. What's it worth? Yeah. Can I yeah. can I also say real quick to anybody who's out there saying, what does this have to do with .NET? Probably your job. You know, right. I mean, this is stuff that that matters to absolutely everybody, especially right now in the tight economy. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to understand this stuff better myself, which is why I'm glad we're having this discussion. Yeah, I am too. I mean, believe me, I'm, I, I love to code. I mean, I, I can code. I've done it for years. But it was really about a part where, you, you know, you just see this stuff. I mean, I've done Big Six Consulting. I work for uh, uh, Gateway, you know, and we all know their right, history. Right, and right. I, I, I'm still in love with the company. Those are some of the greatest people I've ever worked with in my life. Hmm. Yeah, you, 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 know? you, lo- you love to code and you want to continue to code, which is why you want to understand 
why certain decisions are made that might cut you out of your job. Yeah. Or you cut you out of your job. Exactly. No, that's that's a good yeah. point because I've seen situations where, you know, I'll I'll look at somebody and I'll think, you know, you should just be outsourced, buddy. Right. You know, you, you're just coming in. You're not doing anything. You're sitting there. You got your feet up on the desk and you expect everything to just come to you and you think the world owes you a favor. Right, right. You know, why should you be getting paid to do this when there is somebody in India who is perfectly willing to do the job and wants to do it and is happy to have it? Yeah. You know, nothing, nobody owes anybody anything on the, on this planet. You have to work to get things, right? Yeah, you have I, to make yourself valuable. But I think, you know, there's many sides to this issue. And I think one side that you bring up quite uh, profoundly in the book, Bob, is that, you know, what are we working for? I mean, who are we working for and for what purpose? And you know, the whole idea of being a coding slave, that you, you go to work, you're a slave to your, to your system that you're uh, coding for. You're not coding because you love it. You're coding because here's the spec and here's when it has to be done. And, uh, you know, there's no joy in it. And what are, what are you doing? You're building well, if, if there an automatic. Yeah. yeah. And you're building an automation system so somebody else with no brain can push a button and make money. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, have, I have two comments. I want to comment on something that Rory said, which is cool. And then I want to um, – actually, I forgot what the second comment is. I'm just so into the conversation, but I can do the first one. And actually, actually, the second one. The first comment is really about I don't have a problem with outsourcing. I mean, I'm not going to bed at night and seeing it as a, just, a justly unfair situation. Right. I see it as, a, uh, as, as an example of un- the unification of the planet. Okay. And uh, the planet's unifying. It's been doing it since Columbus got in the water. And now we're just seeing it at accelerated rates. Um, my theory is that India is really not the place where it's going to end up. Right, Southeast Asia, right? Yeah, yeah, you got yeah, it. Uh, actually, I'm looking at China pretty Yeah, I, I just use India as the yeah. general blanket example, even though they're losing a lot of work to outsourcing right. themselves. So right. To and it's going to and it's going to happen and happen and happen. I mean, as the economy grows, they're going to demand more money. Just, you know. A, a friend right. of mine has a go. theory that actually it's going to head over to China and they're going to get all the work and our economy is going to go to crap and eventually China's going to offshore to us. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's, that's very possible because, you know, it's, um, you know, the generations are coming. Right. The, um, the second comment, which is now coming back, in, coming back to me, is I wanted to... Um, I just um, released an article, a little uh, ruthless self-promotion here out on Informant called um, Charlemagne Scribes which is really a, 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 an adaptation of Chapter 26. Yeah, and that's what I was going to read from next, actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, feel, feel free to do, and, or you can go ahead and get But I, what I wanted to talk about in about Charlemagne's time was really about the coders at that time. See, we think we're coders, like we're brand new guys on the planet. Well, we're not. We're the same old ditch diggers and bricklayers right. and infrastructure right. yeah, builders. The auto mechanics right. of the 21st century. That's what century. we are. We're, yeah, we're I, I tend to look at it much differently than that, dramatically differently, Rory. Um, I look at it as we're the people that rule the world. Well, that's we cool, too. <laughs> we just don't know it, right? Yeah, so in, in the article I talk about, and actually in the book, there, you know, Charlemagne, people look at Charlemagne. The guy, the guy ran Europe. He owned Europe. Pretty much all of Central and Western Europe was under his um, domain. He was the king of that part of the world. Right. And he was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. So I'm, so, I'm, his, I'm historically ignorant, but did he just, like, control some communications channel, or did he control... Well, that, that's a good question. What he did is he didn't control the communications channel at all. He actually, that was controlled by his scribes and his messengers. And he controlled the scribes and messengers? And no, if the he controlled, church controlled okay. the scribes and messengers. All right, okay. I told and you I was the, ignorant. <laughs> right, but the church had huge, um, I lose my words here, interest in making sure that Charlemagne was in charge because they needed to unify the planet. So the okay. scribes were his technology. 
Exactly. Yeah. And the, but the scribes didn't know. They thought they were doing the work of God for some, some whatever reason, but they didn't really understand how powerful they were, that all they really had to do was rewrite a couple notes and the face of history could be changed. Right. right? So you're saying so I should send all the data to the trash bin or something like that? Something like that. <laughs> let me, or, right, let me read, I, I, let, see, I see what you mean, though. Let me read the paragraph that illustrates that. Um, this is where Ajita is addressing uh, doing a keynote at a conference, which bears a striking resemblance to V-Bits, I thought. I, I have no idea if the you situation meant anyone. Is less so, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be any conference, any but anyway, conference. she is. Uh, she's the uh, the keynote speaker, and she gets up there and talks about Charlemagne. And you're basically speaking through her character here. Am I correct? Um, she's speaking through her character. It's very important that it's she to do it. Okay. Uh, I have a different take. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, this is what she says. Quote, I am sure that some of you, dear colleagues, think that I'm exagger- exaggerating our role as the rulers of the world. Uh, and to, and the degree of our impact on the world at large. But think about it, please. The President of the United States can push all the buttons on the console of any Star Wars machine of his choosing, as hard as his mighty fingers will allow. But if the poor coder at Raytheon or Lockheed Martin, who wrote the software for missile tracking systems, was distracted in love chat the night he was supposed to be programming the shoot the thing down function, the president <laughs> might well find himself annihilating a 747 full of tourists on their way to see Shamu instead of an evil intercontinental ballistic missile on its way to Toledo, Ohio. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty much sums up the point. <laughs> yep, that's it. And so, there, there, you know, there's no victims here. I mean, it's easy to say, well, you know, I'm being outsourced or, you know, the company's doing something to me or X, Y, or if only I was smarter or if I was richer. Or but there are no, there are no victims. Right. Hmm. You know, we're making the world we want. And, and what is that world? I mean, there's another uh, on the next page, basically, you're basically talking about, you know, is this a world that we want to live in? Because what's happening to us as coding slaves is, quote, we have abdicated, abdicated our responsibilities We've become nothing more than slave laborers building modern-day pyramids, glorifying the vanity of pharaohs instead of the greatness of mankind. We isolate ourselves in stall-like cubicles away from sunlight and make code that has marginal personal value. We are lonely, angry, and scared. We sit alone looking to our code for companionship and meaning, and what we really desire is the warmth and closeness of another human being, and still we code alone. That's pretty preachy. Uh, yeah, I've been there, done that. Been there, done that. It's it's interesting though what you were saying about the idea that we're making the world we want. Yeah. Right. And and a little tangential here, <laughs> but this is the argument that I have about Michael Jackson to a certain extent, or about Madonna, or about Britney Spears. Right. People complain about this stuff that's showing up in the media and about the mess and about the horrible things that happen. But we create these people. Right. Michael Jackson mm. was cultivated from birth to be whatever we wanted him to be, and we built like a monster. It's like a Frankenstein story. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was in the public wow. eye. We molded him. We True. shaped him. We cheered him on when he did the things that were weird and freaky. And now he's gotten a little too weird and freaky. And <laughs> right. we don't like it anymore. And I guess the same thing. Happens I don't think with we coding. cheered him on when he when he adopted a monkey or bought the uh, the bones of the. I mean, he was pretty was much. Kinda, I thought the monkey buying was kind of cool. He pretty much I, I, was I, I, out I, there I, before that. The the interesting question becomes, how, you know, Rory, what you said is, I like the statement, we don't like him anymore. So the question that comes to my mind is, well, then how do we define like behavior? And, in, and I don't mean similar, I mean attractive behavior. Right. And my thinking is anything we give attention to, we like. Sure, yeah. So even though we might be uncomfortable with him or mad at Michael or disappointed or completely confused, we're still giving the guy attention. 
Right. <laughs> you know? It's like a car accident, right? You yeah, stop yeah. and you look. Yeah. You don't necessarily like it or you don't want to stop, but there it is. Yeah, yeah, like we don't really like the gladiators. You know, it's pretty horrible throwing the Christians in with those lions and watching all that maiming, but we'll still fill the stadium. Yeah. You know? Now, there's an and interesting... The um, here's you know, the interesting um, thing is um, Noam Chomsky's position. I need to um, share just a little bit of personal history sure. in the sense that I wrote the book in Greece. Uh, I was on the island of Coast after 9-11. After 9-11, I was in New York, and I was busy being you know, a, a rich executive at the time. And um, 9-11 sort of woke me up. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I left the country for a while. And I ended up in, in um, you know, Greece. New um, York, Austria, Greece. You jet-setting bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, um, and it really, um, I really tried to understand what was going on. Huh. I really did want to understand what was going on, and I read um, I read uh, a book um, a book no not a book a video I saw a video by a guy Noam Chomsky he's he's pretty um, pretty radical well um, out there guy, right. but um, he, he has a very interesting idea his idea goes like this that most people can only think about one thing at one time. I, I've tried to think about two things at one time and it's very hard for me and I'd really like to meet somebody who can do that but I can't. And he says, well, if you can only think about one thing at one time, what are you thinking about? And he talked about um, baseball. And I'm a big baseball fan. I mean, I, I love Fenway Park. You know, hopefully, you know, I have wonderful memories of every time I've ever sat in, you know, a seat there. But he says, you know, think about baseball. And he says, I don't really know anybody on the team. None of the people there are my friends. Um, none of the people I know have friends who are on the team. And yet, I find myself giving large amounts of attention to this thing called baseball. Hmm. So what's, mm. the, what's the social benefit or the political benefit of doing this? Well, if you're thinking about baseball, guess what you're not thinking about? Work and 9-11 and problems. Right. Or, yeah, sure. what am I doing here? You know, right. I'm, I'm one of the most, as a coder, I'm one of the most powerful people in the universe. Yeah. Right? And what am I doing here? Escaping. I don't know. I don't know. Um that's interesting, though. Did you 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 were thinking about all this in Greece and reading about this in Greece? Yeah, I was so, thinking. So did, yeah, did, I was thinking about it in Greece. Yeah. Did you go to Greece kind of because you wanted to get perspective? Because you couldn't really think about the thing when you were right in the middle of it. And you wanted to get outside and be able to look on it. Aurora's like, projecting right now, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I recommend it. Actually, I wanted to. One of my one of my my big desires in life is I always want to go to Istanbul. Okay. All right. And I went uh, uh, to get to Istanbul. You can go from the Greek islands and take a boat across and then a bus up into Istanbul. And at that time, I realized I understood nothing about Islam. I just, none of this was making sense to me. I'd never even, I'd never been in a mosque. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and I wanted to find a country where I wasn't, I felt somewhat safe. Many Americans that was authentic Islam, are in the same know? boat, I think. Many Americans are in the same boat. Yeah. We, we and uh, I was actually, had, I, I spent a lot of time in the mosque in Istanbul. And it was just a, a wonderful experience. I mean, just musically alone. I mean, one of the things I like about your show is the amount of music you do. Um, just, it was just an, an amazing musical experience because hmm. all oh, the prayers you. are sung. Right, the Quran is sung. And, yeah, right. and it's just gorgeous. Oh, yeah, and really I'm saying, is. you know, and then, of course, you get the guys trying to sell your carpets outside, but you also understand well, you get that, that in every, this, every city. You get that in every city, though. If it's not, not carpets, not the, if it's not carpets, it's a piece of the cross or the crown of thorns, you know, or yeah. something. I mean, somebody will sell you something somewhere. Or a, uh, or a hollowed out VCR or something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, the sad part is in Istanbul, nobody's in the mosque. I mean, Istanbul is still pretty, it's a Western country. Um, it doesn't really have the, um, um, the 
um, focus on Islam that other parts of the world do, to my understanding. But yeah. it was still it was just a wonderful experience. So I started writing it there, and then the, mm. you know the big decision. You asked me about what the book. The big decision was is that this was really a book um, that was written in a part of my life, which I was going through a lot of understanding about me and a lot of understanding about the world about me. And the question I asked myself is, do I really have the courage to write what I think needs to be written? Mm. Do I really have the courage to write the code that needs to be written? You know what you are? You're basically, you're a part-time coder sociologist. (laughs) And I think that's fascinating because if you think about it, there really is a huge culture, a huge uh, coding subculture that that we we tend to not address because we're too busy talking about ASP.NET versus JSP or servlets or whatever. And we don't really talk about all the social impacts of coding. We don't we don't really. Well, you and I do. Well, we do. Sure. Off the air. Sure. Well, The point is, is all that what I'm finding is all that off the air conversation yeah, that's the interesting stuff. Right. Yeah, that's well. That's interesting. I mean, we also need to know about you know what you know what I call the syntax of language. You know, the, language is broken into two parts, and I talk about it in the book actually. Uh, syntax and semantics, right? And syntax is how the language works, and semantics is what the language means. And as coders, we spend eighty-five percent of our time talking about the syntax. Yeah, right. And that's cool because without syntax, you don't have language. At the PDC, Scott Hanselman and I sat down in the bar of the West, and and we started talking about uh, you know. Mythology and history, and uh, Joseph Campbell and Star Wars, and all this other stuff, and 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 applying the sort of uh, the the mythical motifs or the Jungian archetypes to to languages and code and operating systems. And uh, they uh, anyway, we, we you know I I looked up and three hours had gone by, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is right. why I came out here, you know, yeah. to not to talk about you know. Angle brackets versus uh, wordiness or something, but right or colons at the end. Do I feel yeah. like a real man if I have colons at yeah, the end? Yeah, exactly. Of the thing, you know, exactly. Well, anyway, wait, um, wait, real quick before we go to the break, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say that uh, that uh, this is going to sound like a plug, and it's not. But as soon as the show's over, I'm going to steal Carl's copy of Coding Slave, and I'm heading off to the cafe. Because <laughs> I mean, I I saw the book and I'd read it, and I thought, you know, this is interesting. But like actually talking to you is basically selling me on it. So oh, thank you. That, Thank you. Yeah, Actually, you, you can go out to the website. Let me put my plug in, www.codingslave.com, and I'll watch the numbers go into the millions. Uh, <laughs> and you can read seven sample chapters that are out there. You're going to have an audio book? Uh, yeah, Carl, let's talk about it. Uh, you got oh, cool. it down. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you, could do an audio, you could really week, do an you know? audio book. It, the book is just about the right size. Sure. You could actually do an MP3 version of this, and people could listen to it while at work or on their way to work. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. the book is des- Actually, I designed the book ergonomically. It is ergonomically designed. It's meant to be read on the subway or in the bathroom because I know that people have hard time sitting down and reading novels unless you're a dedicated novel reader. But um, there's a, it's designed to be read quickly and efficiently and to be learned and enjoyed. Well, cool. Awesome. Well, Bob, uh, sit tight. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back after this musical interlude with a caller or cool. two. Uh, stick around. Well, let it rain, let it pour, let it rain a whole lot more, cause I got them deep river blues. Just let the rain drive right on, let the waves just sweep along, yes. She's a good 
good old pal. She looks just like a waterfowl when I get them deep river blues. I ain't no one to cry for me, and the fish shall go out on a spree when I get them deep river blues. Just give me back my old boat. I'm gonna sail her if she'll float, 'cause I. Shows times are better. There I'm told, 'cause I got them deep roots. Now let it rain, let it pour, let it rain a whole lot more, 'cause I got them deep river blues. Just let that rain drive right on, let the waves sweep along, 'cause I got them. Sinks with me, I'll go down. Don't you see? 'Cause I got them deep river blues. And now I'm gonna say goodbye. And if I sink, just let me die. 'Cause I got them deep river blues. Hey, Carl Franklin here, giving a shout out to my friends at Data Dynamics.、Uh, we've talked a lot about Active Reports on this show, and this is no exception. So I'm talking about ActiveReports.net. This is a port of their popular Active Reports program. If you're currently thinking of doing reporting in .NET for Windows Forms or web applications, check out Active Reports for .NET. Uh, many of my friends in the business use and swear by ActiveReports.net. I use it as well.、Now、let me just tell you to say that the reporting is simple does it an injustice because it makes you think that it can only do simple things. It can do very powerful things, but you don't have to go through hoops just to set up a simple report. When you create a report, the report exists with your application. Okay, it doesn't exist on a server somewhere. All right, we're not talking about enterprise reporting. We're talking about I have some data. I want to print it out, or I want to show it to the user. PDF format is supported. HTML format is supported. All the great features you'd expect from a reporting engine. Drop dead simple, and the best part: it's not going to break the bank. They have a great licensing scheme that's easy to deal with. So check it out at www.datadynamics.com. Now let's get back to our show.
Love that song, man. Oh, yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. Thank you. Good stuff. I wish we'd recorded some of our other stuff before <laughs> I came out, so we'd have more than two of my songs to play. But yeah, that's okay. Good stuff. We'll hear some more, I'm sure. Well, uh, Bob, uh, we have a caller on the line. Uh, his name is Michael Dove, calling from the University of Iowa, huh. and he has a question for you. Go cool. ahead. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I would just, uh, you were talking, Bob, about uh, outsourcing and then working yourself out of a job. I ended up doing that back in 99 with good old Y2K, and just recently I finally got myself back into a position oh, good where I'm earning what I was back then. And it's just, the, the industry nowadays is so tough. Do you see any any of it coming back to us at all? Well, what do you mean by coming back? Well, with all the outsourcing stuff going to India and possibly China, do you see any of it coming back in a circle saying, you mean, well, these guys aren't doing so well, let's get back to some of these good American coders? You mean, is it going to ever be like it was? I don't really see it ever being like it was, but is there any hope for improvement? Well, yeah, well, well, there's always hope. I mean, hope's part of being alive. Um, I guess the question I'm sort of a- asking, Michael, um, by the way, are you out there in Iowa City? Yeah. Oh, man, wonderful place on the planet. Wonderful place on the planet. Um, what do you mean about coming back? I mean, will we make? Will you be able to make the sort of money you were making before? 
Yeah, that are we going to have the increase in the money? Are we going to have the jobs coming back to, into the into the U.S.? Um, I've got friends who are still looking for work, and they've oh, yeah, been at yeah, it for it, two it, years. Yeah, it's hard out there. It's hard out there. Um, the, the, I guess the the simple answer is I don't know. Um, here's here's what I've here's what I've learned um, that I found out that and the trick to living well is not to live on as much money as you can, is to live as well as much money as you can, is to live as well on as little money as you can. And I had to start really looking at the role of money in my life. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying that I don't like money because I like paying, I like earning my place on the planet. All right. I mean, money, money is how we, it's our means of exchange. It's how, it's what, how we do business with one another, how we survive as economic beings. However, the question is how much, uh, it's always interesting to me when I, uh, people come to me saying, I want to make a lot of money. I go, cool. And then I say, well, how much? And filling in a number is like a second thought. So the question I would ask you, Michael, is when you say come back, I mean, how much money do you want? Well, because of the situation I went into, my wife and I got into some serious debt, and we're still trying to get ourselves out. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming around to your point of view about, about money, in fact, that it's not the most important thing in the world, but it makes things easier. Oh, it but does, you, yeah. Yeah, you just have to live within your means, and that's something we were not doing for a while. Yeah, right. absolutely true. Yeah, I, I recommend a book um, by a guy named, uh, I, I hope I pronounce it right, Thorben Belson. It's called The Theory of the Leisure Class. He wrote it in 1899, and he is the guy that came up with the uh, phrase conspicuous consumption. And the L.A. Times just did an article about him last week. I, I wish I'd saved it. But this idea of creating societies based on consumption and what the ramifications of that are. Hey, that sounds familiar. Societies yes. based on where? Where have I seen a society based on consumption? Yeah, right. Well, you know, in, in an industrial society, the role of the citizen is to consume. Right. In an agrarian society, the role of the citizen was to produce. It's really what's the role of citizenship. Now, the interesting thing, I the question I'm still struggling with, is in the information society, where we really don't produce hard goods anymore. We're producing ideas. We're in the idea business. What is really the role of the citizen? I don't That's have an That's a good question. I, that, yeah, I don't have an answer. Yeah, I, I just kind of locked up. The first thing I was thinking about was like Friendster and Orchid. And <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, well, there's a place, I suppose, where people are coming back and consuming ideas in exchange for looking at ads. But it doesn't really – it's not going to drive anything. It's not going to Talking about ideas, Bob, I've had, this, I've had this experience many times. Maybe you guys have too. Where I get an idea. Maybe it's for a product. Maybe it's for a piece of software. Maybe it's for the application of some existing technology. Or maybe it has nothing to do with technology at all. Maybe it's just an idea about, uh, you know, a, a TV show or a, something I'd like to see. And I say, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd definitely be great. And I just, you know, I'm doing this other thing now. I can't do that. And then a month later, two months later, there it is. And I say to myself, you know, if I had followed through, if I had, had the investment or if I had the, the if I cared enough risk, to do it, right? yeah. and if I had taken the risk, you know, I would have been... Netscape or Yahoo or whatever it was, because I had the idea about the same time. So if you want a lot of reward, then you have to definitely stick your neck out. Well, that's true. Yeah. You absolutely have to take a risk in order. But that's that's if you want to make the kind of money that you know. Then yeah. Well, we're then, then the question becomes here. right: is what how much becomes enough money? And that's exactly what your point is here. Yeah. Is try to try to live as frugally as possible and still have a good life. And yeah, defi I'm don't not define even... good life by. 
the number on your paycheck. Right. So, and, and the other interesting thing that you just brought up, Carl, that I want to comment on is actually the role of consumption and scarcity, which um, Microsoft sort of destroyed that idea pretty completely. And it'll take me about a minute to explain the idea, and I hope you can bear with me. In, in an industrial um, society, um, consumption um, materials are finite. So, for example, let's take our friend, our friend oil, right? There's only so much oil on the planet. Right. So when you get the, fir- the first oil is the cheap oil, okay? And then as you've got to start drilling deeper, the price goes up. Or it's con- it, it, the price goes up. It just costs more to get the product. Well, th- that's hard goods in industry. Information works completely differently. And sure. uh, again, our friends at Microsoft have taught us that. The most expensive copy of VB.net was copy number one. Mm. That cost like a quadrillion dollars. Right. Right. Copy number two cost a dime. Yeah. So this idea of uh, we're still looking at scarcity, like there's not going to be enough. And that's really built into, I think, our cultural fabric. The Europeans, mm. in my experience, got over it a long time ago. They realized they used up all the forests. Right. So when you go into a bathroom in, um, in France, the water heater is instantaneous. You don't, you don't heat water as a way of life. You heat water, heat water as a way of use. Right. Here we just heat water because we feel like it. <laughs> you know, because there's just more, there's, you know, there's more forest out there, right? Right. Well, now we're getting, now the interesting idea, which we're seeing now, I'm really sort of looking at the OPEC, what's going on with OPEC, is it, what, what's going to happen during this cutback? Nobody here, I, I, we were talking the other night, Carl, you guys probably don't remember 72 and 73. No, I do. I do, do, actually. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I was born in 67, the year Sgt. Right. Peppers came out. Yeah. I remember owning a car during those years. <laughs> and I love to bring that up to my friends who are 50 and older, you know. They okay, say, cool. Just to cool. make him feel old, you know? Yeah. Yep. I was born. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so go, going back, I think Mike's pretty, Mike, Mike is bringing up an, you know, an interesting thing, this anxiety of what's to become of us. I, I share it. I do. I'm not going to lie. You know? Um, I mean, yeah. what happens when there's nobody left to pay us? What do we do? Well, the, the, the other thing that I wanted to add is that it isn't just us. We aren't the only ones who are worrying about it, right? I mean, there, there, there's also... Uh, accountants and insurance salespeople and radiologists and architects and other people who are wondering the exact same thing that Mike's wondering. So it's not like coders have been singled oh, out. No, oh, no. Right? The, 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 ticket age, the ticket agent at Northwest was very upset. Well, I remember going to get on a ticket before they put in the automatic, um, the automatic uh, boarding pass dispenser, right? And she right. was really freaked out. She said, I'm not going to have a job, you know? And I said, well, maybe you'll do something better. And that thought never occurred to her. Yeah, I looked at those machines. And I thought the same thing. I thought, man, this is convenient, and somebody somewhere is probably out of a job for it. Now, Rory, we were talking the other day about uh, your sort of, you have a a, a more, um, I guess you would call a, a positive outlook on the future in terms of the economy, uh, and it's just that our role that is changing, and we just have been changing so fast that we haven't learned to adapt to it. And there are always going to be jobs. The question is, what is the job going to be? The job used to be, you know, building forms with buttons on them so that our bosses could push them and make money. And now those jobs are, you know, kind of kind of boring to the to the programmers that are here, and a lot of them have been shipped away. So the the jobs that are remaining are more like architecture, security, kind of specialized programming, consulting, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, so eventually the technology is going to get so sophisticated, and we were talking about this uh, on the blogs too, eventually the technology is going to get so sophisticated so that the guy who pushes the buttons, the Charlemagne, right, as Bob mentions, 
he doesn't have to have his scribes. He's got or she- a, a machine that he can just push the button or tell it what he wants, and it just goes and does it. That, that of course, is a ways off. But first, we're going to see that the architecting jobs and the security jobs are just as shippable as, oh, sure. as anything else. I mean, there's going to be the point where we say, here are our business requirements. Now, give us our infrastructure, and right. it'll just simply be delivered. Um, yeah, I, I guess I have, I, have t- I have two models for the future, and every day I flip back and forth. And my one model is the Jetsons, and the other <laughs> model is Star Trek. Right. Or yes, what I, about what about Mad Max? You kind of left that out. I knew no, you were that's gonna, not one of my models. I knew you were going to bring up Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, but and the reason let, let me elaborate a minute. In in, in 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 Jetsons, it's like you know George has you know the spaceship, and um, you know Judy has you know the buttonizer. I mean Jane has the buttonizer and the robots, and you know and the kid still the kid has his you know electronic robot dog and stuff. But all the problems are the same. The scenarios is the same. The technology well, hasn't changed anything. Yes, yeah, the fifties of the future. Yeah, Mr. Spacely is still dumping on George, right. you know. Uh, Elroy is still dissing Mom, you know. Hey, and Dad, Judy's looking Dad, want to help me with my homework, Dad? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that that's Jetsons. Now you got Jetson, the Star Trek model. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, on the, but on the Star Trek model, I remember something very profound that Picard said. I was, like, really blown out the door when he said it. He said, okay. you know, in the past, we were concerned with material acquisition. Now, because we can make everything we want automatically, we're only concerned with making ourselves better. I, I, you know, this is exactly what we were talking about. And what we were saying is that we're caught in a transitionary period where we kind of all get screwed, and we hope that in about 100 years, the world is a much better place. Right, so robots mining the ore, bringing it to the smelting pots, making and forming and... And, and building building their own infrastructure building houses. to support the humans so that we can just basically make life better for ourselves. So, but uh, do you find, do you think that you have the George, uh, well, the, the, the time machine kind of... Uh, attitude where you think that eventually we're going to just become so non-working and you know that we're going to just basically stop caring about all of that culture and all of that uh the you know the culture that accompanied the technology and the work that made our lives rich are we just going to not are we going to stop reading are we just going to sit around and wait for somebody to tell us what to think and what to do are we there now yeah, well, I mean, I think I'm just giving lines, you know, out of my consciousness. I think, you know, in the old, in, there was a line from when the old, old Soviet Union was, you know, in um, existence. You see, you know, in the old Soviet Union, they threw, you know, the poets in jail. Here, we just ignore them. <laughs> you know? Um, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the question is, you know, are, you know really, ha- have, thing, you know, have things changed that much? There, you do bring up an interesting point, though. There is a third factor I've, I've been thinking about, and that's what Bill Joy's been thinking about. And I don't—I I wish, I wish, you know, I could have Bill Joy over for dinner and, you know, talk to him about it. But he's—he—he he, he was really—he wrote an article in Wired, a very long article called "Why the Future Doesn't Need Us," and his mm. position is that basically we've created uh, another form of um, consciousness, machine consciousness. And uh, Kurzweil is uh, is is, is um, yes, I'm reading his book right now, The Age of Spiritual Machines. Spiritual Machines, you got it. Yeah, that basically um, uh, um, machine intelligence is the next step in evolution. That's what Kurzweil's saying. Right. So there's this whole other stuff. So then, do we really become? Does it really become? Um, you know, the Matrix stuff, where we're really here just food for the machines. Now, I don't know. And the question is, is it knowable? Would we ever really know? I think we would have to allow that to happen. We would have to, we would have to make that uh, part of the programming in order for it to work. 
We'd right. have to we would have to allow You'd it. have to enable it because it's not going to just sprout up out of the ground and happen on its own accord. Right, or or we could take you know Douglas Adams' position too. That it's been that way all along. We're really the guys that make the water warm for the dolphins, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, which Douglas, I remember him saying that at PDC. You know, I, I mean, it was just I was I was blowing out the door when he said that. Yeah. Um, I think there are some, there, there there are. I think the trick here is paying attention. There is right. some ser- serious stuff going on in in the world. Um, I think, and Carl, from our discussions, you've been experiencing. From what, remember, what you told me that more people are taking your courses online now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, face to face. Right. I, so, I had this class uh, this week. I had four people remotely and one person in the class. Right. Oh, wow. My do- my yeah. daughter, um, my, my my lovely oldest daughter, Jean Vieve, goes to um, if Michael's listening, goes to uh, Iowa State, and uh, she takes half her classes online. Yeah. And when I was in college, I took none of my classes online. Right. In my college, there, nobody had a PC. You know, I'm giving my age away here. So now, it really, the interesting thing isn't about, to me, about distance learning or computer-based training or any of that stuff. Right. The interesting thing for me is the parceling of human attention. Human attention. Mm. And yeah. what does it, does getting a real teacher in real time really become something that becomes even more elite than it is now. Yeah. I mean, at the college level, you know, it always, you know, when Henry Kissinger was teaching, you got maybe his third TA, three doors down the left, you know, to get to talk to. Right. So that, 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 that's always been there, but now is it more prevalent? Right. Well, uh, we're going to have to uh, take a break right now and do a little segment on the show that uh, Rory and I like to call uh, the Linux vulnerability of the week. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> and uh, just to introduce the segment, this is um, something that we like to do, not to pick on Linux, but just to give Linux vulnerabilities equal time because there are those zealots out there that argue that Windows crashes and Linux does not. And if you don't believe me, just listen to last week's show, uh, the week before that, rather, the, the show with Marcus Egger. Uh, and so to refute that claim, we like to read a vulnerability that is posted about Linux or some Linux product uh, every week. And this one comes from LinuxSecurity.com advisories. In Gen 2, Gen 2 Linux Security Advisory, Severity High, title, New Automake Symbolic Link Vulnerability, dated April 8, 2004. The synopsis, Automake may be vulnerable to a symbolic link attack, which may allow an attacker to modify data or elevate their privileges. Some background information, Automake is a tool for automatically generating makefile.in files, which is often used in conjunction with AutoConf and other GNU or GNU auto tools to to ease portability among applications. It also provides a standardized and light way of writing complex makefiles through the use of many built-in macros. Automake may be vulnerable to a symbolic link attack, which may allow an attacker to modify data or escalate their privileges. This is due to the insecure way Automake creates directories during compilation. An attacker may be able to create symbolic links in the place of files. And those are sort of like shortcuts, except they work. Um, (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Contained in the affected directories, which may potentially lead to elevated privileges due to modification of the data. An attacker may be able to use this vulnerability to modify data in an unauthorized fashion or elevate their privileges. There is no workaround known for it. The resolution is to upgrade to version 1.8 or 3, uh, 1.8.3 or later. And that, my friends, is the Linux vulnerability of the week. Hello, Mr. Bull. 
lets you and me fight. <laughs> So, you know, now we've had our fun, and uh, it all seems very shallow compared to what we're talking about today, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> I mean, that was the point initially, is to make it sound shallow, but it really sounds extra shallow today. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, th- I think, um, no, not at all. I mean, wow, you know, coding is like wonderful stuff. I mean, getting in there, you know, and even doing, even, you know, the curly bracket, uh, you know, no semicolon argument, that's fun stuff. Yeah, sure. It's yeah. all fun. You know, when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. Right. Well, it's it's like bar talk for coders. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what you yell at each other while you're throwing peanuts at the other guy. I mean, yeah. it, it is fun stuff. It is fun stuff. It's it's the stuff where you just talk yourself in circles. And you know, you're not getting anywhere, but you're really enjoying yourself. So, Would you, right. you, you mean you, you mean the syntax talk or the semantics talk? Either one. Everything. Either one. Yeah. <laughs> Curly braces versus yeah. blah 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 blah. Yeah. Cos- yeah but, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, it, it is. I mean, that's how really. I, I think imp- sometimes you'd be surprised how really important ideas generate. Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, um, I mean the most. I mean, this what you're doing now, what you guys are doing now, is an incredibly important idea. An incredibly well, thank you. It is. It is because did the sponsors now we're really hear saying, that. What? <laughs> yeah, did the sponsors yeah. hear that? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, here you know, here's another another little diatribical fact. I don't even know if that's a word, but really, five <laughs> media um, companies control all the media we get to see. Sure. And they're owned by other five companies that make like all the transport. Everything we need to know about now is probably in Rollerball, if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> um, you know, the five companies own it. But with the cheapness of technology and the fact that all, and I talk about this in the book too, and I think, you know, in uh, Raphael, um, Raphael, when he's praying for to pass a certification exam, um, <laughs> uh, um, about that every, everything's cheap now. All you need is brains. Yeah, that's all. And, and we've got the cheap equipment. Yeah. So oh, we yeah. were able to get started there. <laughs> yeah, think of what you can buy for, you know, 500 bucks now. Right, and, and you, you can rent your brains, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, you know, now the field, now the field becomes level. You know, I'm, I'm always sort of interested in the new um, argument. I'm interested about electronic voting. Oh, you know, right, that's, yeah. That's coming up now, and I've always been quizzical about why we can't vote directly. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a free-for-all here. Like, I want to vote on all those bills that well, the I think Senate's the, doing. the best argument I've heard is that you think dimpled chads and, you know, shady counting is, is a problem. At least you can see it happening. Yeah. You know, there, the, here you have uh, nanoterrorism on a, you know, on a <laughs> electronic scale. <laughs> Right. On an electronic scale that nobody could, you know, could go completely undetected. Right. And again, again, you know, this is adding uh, fuel to the argument that you make that the programmers are really in charge here. Right. Or to use uh, Joy's thing, it's really some other machine now is controlling our electoral process. You know, right. you know well, everybody, you know. Well, we've got a caller on the line here, cool. uh, Koss Callis from Ocarch, Oklahoma. And uh, Koss, you're going to have to uh, correct me on my pronunciation but you got you have a uh, uh a question for bob well just kind of a comment to follow up on one of the things that, that mike i think was the guy caller earlier was talking about um you know he said you know had, had worked himself out of a job in the y2k era and one of the things that uh, uh i think that developers need to to stay in mind of and i think anybody probably listening to this show does this already um but when we talk to other folks we need to Keep it in mind is that you know by staying on the cutting edge and staying on, on on the forward edge of technology is one of the best ways to secure our our job positions. So um, you know that's 
assuming there are jobs there well, in the first place. There are, there are always going to be jobs there. There are always going to be things, people wanting things to be done. Uh, the question is, are we going to be the ones doing it, or are the folks over in India, China, or wherever going to be doing it? Well, the, the other issue, though, isn't just getting new jobs, but in making sure that you're still valuable to your employer. Well, your job is less likely to disappear if you are still producing value for your employer. Right? Absolutely. That, that, so, that's, yeah, and that's the point I was making at the beginning yeah, of the show. Yeah, if, if you're constantly bettering yourself and learning new things, then although someday your job might eventually disappear, you can at least you know, well, lessen the likelihood of it just taking off tomorrow. Well, it, right? it, it takes work to do that. The, the job that you did two years ago is going to disappear. I mean, think about this. Um, you know, in, in about two years, .NET disappears. Right, it becomes it, Windows. Well, it becomes WinFX. And so are you still going to be doing .NET Rocks? Are you going to change it to WinFX Rocks or something yeah, else? We, we actually posed that question to Microsoft. Uh, it's always going to be called .NET Rocks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it, when .NET becomes passe technology, are you sure you're not going to want to change it? .NET is ne- managed code as we know it, and Windows programming is never going to become a passe technology. We will probably continue to call the show .NET Rocks, although I, I can't read the future. But... Uh, yeah. We'll just or pick the be best buzzword. With, um, you know, but the, Carl but the, and uh, Rory. I, I, you know? I think what we call the show is is a very minor part of of the show itself. The way we do it actually is we get our sponsors together in a room and we look at them. We just say words and we see the, we see how they we see how they react. If their eyes light up and they smile, then we use that. So if it's going to be like orange juice rocks, for example, if that's what they like, hey, hey we like that. But that's what's Pig going milk to, rocks. That's what's going to attract your listeners, though. Also, yeah, sure. Is, Who cares if we have listeners if we got sponsors? <laughs> <laughs> Having listeners is what's going to attract sponsors, though. This guy is no sense of humor. Don't try your strange, shifty logic on me. <laughs> yeah, uh, we can't put anything past you, Cos. Uh, well, I try to be sharp. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 true, though. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I have a comment to the caller. Um, about, um, and it comes from, I'm thinking about a, a Steve Jobs interview I read back in Wired a while ago, and he said, you know, the really amazing thing about very creative, desirable people isn't so much that they can do a lot in terms of being able to turn screws and make the widgets work, but that they have the amazing ability to connect the dots. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. So the question, it goes back, I struggle with, and this is really my, my thesis, is this whole idea of, syn- of syntax versus semantics. Right. In other words, what you, how your code works and what your code means. And I think what we've done, for, for, the stress is enormous. The rate of change now, I mean, you know, doctors have it good. What, they have the same model to work with for the last 10 million years, you know? <laughs> We're always having to change here, you know, everything. But we spend so much time on the syntax that we don't, that I, and myself too, I have to actually make conscious decision to get outside of the syntax to understand the role of my discipline, my profession, I belong to a discipline, a profession that actually goes back thousands of years and understanding what its position within the culture is. So going back to what Rory says is what I try to focus on. Yeah, we all need an employer, and it's taken me a while to get used to that. I mean, coders by nature probably just hate their employers. They're built that way, or else we couldn't code. But um, it's a question becomes who becomes our employer. Is it our civilization or is it our corporation? Well, Joseph Campbell said he wrote this book, uh, uh, one, one of his many books, was called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which became the basis of Star Wars for jo- uh, George Lucas. And he spent his life doing comparative mythology. 
And, uh, you know, one of his fundamental questions when he did his interview, The Power of Myth with Bill Moyers on PBS, which is awesome, and I recommend you check that out, was, you know, your relationship to a system. And he has had many opportunities in his life to submit to a system. And this is sort of what, you know, the Star Wars thing is all about, is the the Empire is the system. And um, when Vader takes his mask off at the end of Return of the Jedi, you know, he, he's not even a human being anymore. He's just this crumpled, rumpled, old, shriveled up, uh, you know, man who has no autonomy left and who has no soul. Um, but, uh, you know, Campbell said that he has had many opportunities to go, you know, read, write this book or teach this thing or, you know, become president of this company or that company. And he would not submit. And he feels that that's the, the role of the hero or one of the many roles of the hero is to, you know, to not submit, to be a maverick, to, to do your own thing and to live by your own calling. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Obviously, you know, we've done with the show and, and my company and Franklin's net, we've sort of we've sort of separated ourselves from, you know, the sort of mainstream consulting and training and all this kind of stuff. And we can, I can pretty much do my own thing. And, you know, that didn't happen by accident. Well, I mean, there was the, a deliberate the, choice for me to do the, that. The, the, the trick is to get somebody to help you feed your family for, for doing your thing. Well, that's it is to, to follow your bliss and do the thing that you love and do something that you can that you can afford to do. Right. You, you live in Oklahoma, right? Right. Uh, Western, eastern Oklahoma? Uh, pretty much dead center. Dead center. Yeah, here's what, when you, whenever people talk to me about feeding their family, which mm-hmm. believe me, I've, I've had a family and I struggle every day feeding, you know, my family still. But I, I, I think about, here, here you go, you get these people in, um, like, New York, right, farmers in New York, and they get in this, uh, for, you know, this wagon, and they go out to, they don't even know where they're going. They don't even know where they're going, and they go out, and they hit this thing called the Midwestern Winter. Now, I don't know Oklahoma, Oklahoma that well at all, but I do know the northern Midwest. And if you want to meet your maker, live through a winter there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so think, when I think about feeding my family, that those words reverberate. Think of what that guy had to do to feed yeah, his right. family. Right. And to survive on day to day. So here we are. You know, our biggest problem is, you know, really, what supermarket are we going to today? And will, <laughs> will, if worse comes to worse, will our line of credit be able to make it through the swipe? Right. Yeah. Larry Miller, the comedian, says, you know, my parents said, oh, back in my day, you know, we had to work for everything. We had to grow the food. We had to pump the water. You know, and he says, you know, if I go to the bank and the, and the grocery store in the same day. I need a nap. Right. He says, this is the only country in the world where we can get on the phone and pick up the phone and say, I'm hungry. And they say, we'll be right over. Yeah. yeah. And that's not good enough. If it's not here in 30 minutes, I'm not paying. Right. That, that's not good enough. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and even people now, I mean, I'm still, you know, I mean, think about when we remember, remember, the, remember basic. Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> remember, I mean, having... Right, those go-to statements, right? Right, right. right. And we made wonderful code under that. Sure. We made made code. We made it work. Yeah, we made it work. So, again, I'm always, I mean, the syntax is cool. I mean, it's always nice to learn another language and another methodology and another framework. It's always great when we have one less line of code we have to write. But it's not the big picture, you know. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Or it is the big big picture, too. It becomes Well, the syntax isn't the big picture. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, but... um, I think, I mean, in the book, I do talk, I mean, this is about coding, slim code. I do offer a solution. I mean, I re, I, I've thought through the problem, 
And I've really thought about, and there's a reason why the minnow ships with it, and it really is about how do we train physicians. Right. And in, in, in the dialogue, they say, do we send them to the teachers or do we send them to the physicians? Hmm. And what we've, hmm. done in, what we've done as a profession is um, we've sort of let other people take care of it for us. Hmm. And basically they've been, you know, other people, I mean, you know, you know who those guys are. You know, and they're, you know, yes, and they've done it, I guess, well to this point, but m- most code doesn't ship. Most code right. doesn't ship, guys. Right. So I guess they've done a great job. Because yeah, we certainly well. haven't. Hmm. So in the, you know, book we talk about it, and the first thing is the taking responsibility for our profession. And it's our profession. I like this uh, the segment in the book, and, and I'll just read this quick, where uh, it's in that same chapter, 26, where... Um, Ajita is talking, doing the keynote thing, and she uses the little, the 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 question. What is it called? The auto, the green button and the red button, the auto voter. Oh, the votom- the votometer. Votometer. That's the votometer. The, yeah. She's basically got this room full of people, and she's doing the keynote, and everybody has a red button and a green button, and she says, you know, first, uh, I, w- I want you know before I start, I'm going to ask you some questions, and after I que- ask you a question, please answer it using the votometer. She says. Um, and she asked these series of questions. And Bob, do, are these real numbers? Yes, actually, well, they're, they're, they could be. You can go out to the Coding Slave site and take that quiz. Okay. It is on the site. But they are real numbers. You got these from No, a... I made them up. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I, have, I made them up. <laughs> All right, I but... mean, nobody will let me at 11,000 people. Maybe after this, I'll get to do it. We'll get to take the botometer. <laughs> we'll cut that some... out, right? No. Yeah, and we'll just go through the country giving the quiz. And sure. we'll sell it as market research material. Right. And, you know, there you go. But I hope this, everybody's listening. But this, these questions are reverberate. I mean, for anybody who's reading it, you can obviously see what you're getting at here. And her question, number one, is, do you labor in an environment where the primary source of light is fluorescent? Yes, 10,185. No, 98. Are you overweight due to lack of exercise and movement? Yes, 9,942. No, 910. I could definitely fall into that category. And uh, I'd probably crush somebody, too, if I felt. But uh, does your behind hurt from sitting in a chair all day? Yes, about 9,894. Do you talk to yourself and others with whom you work as resources? Do you talk about yourself and the others with whom you work as resources? I love that one. Ooh. I love that one. And people, here's a big hint. If you want your managers and your bosses and their bosses to think of you as something that can be easily shipped abroad, then by all means, don't refer to each other as people, but call each other resources, because <laughs> that makes you a piece of paper that can be put in an envelope and mailed to another country. So right. scary. And, right. so and scary. also used up. We use right. up resources. Exactly. Let right. me just read. I won't read the answers, but some of these questions are great. Are you forced to create a lame system about which you haven't any input on requirements or design <laughs> that will be associated with you forever? <laughs> Have you forced to sign the code in the comments? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you avoided speaking to a client or end user in the last five years? Do you find yourself writing code that has been written one thousand times before just to provide a trace amount of intellectual stimulation? <laughs> do you wear jeans to work on Friday only? Number nine. Do you have frequent fantasies about intimate human contact, physical and otherwise, within your work environment? Yet in reality, have very little or none at all. Number 10, do you work in a cube that others have made for you? <laughs> I love that. The others, like the cube fairies. <laughs> I do love that, though. Number that 11, others have made for you. Are you afraid of or resentful about your supervisor? 
Do you spend more time writing code you hate than with your loved ones? Ooh, what a great question. Yeah, that's something. Do you find yourself thinking that you'll get, get it right on the next version? Do you find yourself fearing a new technology because you don't have the time or desire to learn it? Do you have more than $1,000 in credit card debt? Are you dissatisfied with your sex life? Okay, well, these are getting a little personal. Do you find yourself fearing that if you go into a meeting and say what's really on your mind, you'll get into trouble? Are you afraid of losing your possessions? Have you ever had to change plans in order to work overtime? Do you find Dilbert funny, but know in your heart that it's really much, much worse? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> those are great questions. Yeah. And those are on the website. You can Yeah, on the website, go to codingslave.com, go in and then choose the quiz and take it. Oh and, man. Yeah, and, and, you, pre- and you've got the stats here and everything showing how everybody else was answering. So. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're suspicious, but you know, I've done them heuristically. And um <laughs> I'm, I'm you know, I'm not surprised. It's showing up. It's interesting cuz I show back the percentages on the website. Bob, can we give away some books? Uh yes, please. Um please give away some books and Carl, you and I can uh wrap up, you know, not uh, figure out how to ship them. Yeah, let's right. give away five how, books. How, how many you want to allocate and we'll Let's uh, give five. All right, so listen up. The next five people that send a message through uh, uh, that says, I want a book through www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks will receive a free copy of Coding Slave. No, no. And wait, I want to get a And they have to wrote, they also have to tell you the most important piece of software that they've written. In ah. other words, if they were going to put it on their gravestone, say, I wrote this software that <laughs> goes on their gravestone, <laughs> wow. right? That's a good no question. That's a great question. Yes, that is a I really wrote good this question. and I'm happy I did. All right. I, I guess I'm not getting one of those books. My best, my best piece of software was a tank game. <laughs> well, all right, that's Dave, all right, though. That's Dave, all right. Dave that's Salmon cool. just said, I want a book. Dave, you have to give us a, re- uh, a piece of software that you wrote, your favorite, the best software. Not, not your favorite. favorite. Yeah, I want a not your favorite. Too. It's going on your gravestone, Not your guys. favorite. The, the one you're most proud of. And girls, yep. Yeah. How, uh, the one I want on my gravestone. Right. Can I throw something in real quick? Sure. Again? All right. We've got the question, do you have more than $1,000 in credit card debt? And I watched my, my family and I watched friends get into credit cards and have a lot of problems with this. And I just wanted to say, here's a big tip to everybody. This is Roy's financial tip of the week, especially in a tough economy, is just don't have a credit card. I know that sometimes yep. it can be tough for people, but I have, I, have a de- I have a debit card. And yeah, there are times when I watch my account shrink to the point that I think, oh God, how am I going to make that quarterly tax payment? Or how am I going to do this? Or how am I going to do that? And that's when I definitely start to scrimp. It really keeps your financial situation on the forefront of your mind. So if you're having a hard time with work or you're having a hard time with the economy and you're worried about the credit card debt, then just don't have one. That, I realize that, that's bad citizenship, Rory. Oh, well, yeah, okay, I'm a bad American, whatever. <laughs> well, we have, we have some winners. Citizen. We have some winners. The first one is David Salmon. He says, I wrote a GC term tracker, and I'm happy I did. <laughs> what's a GC term tracker? Yeah, what's a GC term tracker? That doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, Michael... Elsdorfer says, my best piece of software I have written was a calc.exe clone. <laughs> oh, come on, man. That's, that's and pretty wait, cool. Wait, wait, we need to get this guy Bob, on the phone. Bob, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wasn't there, yeah. You just um, made your point through that guy. Uh, Josh Pollard says, I wrote an online ordering system for my company. Uh, Ken DeRossier says, I wrote our security module, my company's security module. And the last one, John Amick says, I wrote a knowledge base app and I'm happy I did. It seems like, you know, peop- uh, this, I'm happy I did it. it you know, it, it seems like we're getting this sentiment from the teeming millions that 
I don't know, maybe we're, we're telling yeah, them they're l- doing me, things l- wrong. I, l- let me comment on that. I used, to, I, I, t- I used to teach at a college in the Midwest, and my assignment, I only gave one assignment every year, and that was just to write a piece of software that changes the world. Just write a piece of software that changes the world. And of course, the students, their jaws dropped. They said, This is a programming course. I said, Yeah, it's a programming course. Um, Now, write a piece of software that changes the world. And there was this one young lady who was pretty new to programming. But what she did, I was just floored. And here's what she did she understood that uh, dog and cat overpopulation was a big problem. She used to work in a uh, kennel that put animals to sleep. Wow. And she, yeah, she was really mortified by just how much people just didn't care about spaying and neutering their animals, about just how irresponsible it was. And she wrote a calculator. It was very good. And what all the calculator did was help people figure out what would happen if they didn't spay their animals, about how many wow. actual offspring happened. Wow. Yeah, and it, granted, I mean, it wasn't rocket science programming. I mean, it didn't, you know, do a billion transactions a nanosecond and stuff, or did it keep, you know, the uh, magnetic field of the Earth straight? But <laughs> you, you, when you walked away from that piece of software, you, you, you were different. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember that. And she really, she was a sweetheart. That's software that mind. changes the world right there. Right there. I mean, everybody thinks that, you know, you have to, you know, like I said, change the magnetic field of the Earth or, you know, make NAFTA work or something. And you have to have 50,000 lines of code in your this module and that module. It has to be highly complex. So if we thought about .NET Rocks as a piece of software... It is, Then how we change the world is is by converting Linux zealots to install Visual Studio 2003. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) Like like Christopher Anthony, right? Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I can tell you what I think the coolest piece of software you you guys publish is right now, if you want to know. Sure. I, I like Carl's Tunes the best. Uh, you're so kind, man. No, but it's true, man. I mean, here's something that computers cannot do. Yet. Yes. <laughs> Yet. No way. No way. Roy's Rur- computers can do. In fact, you know, he helped with, with their help. He made some of his music as well. Wait, you, but look at your language. You said he made. Sure. Yes, yes. But, but I see a day, we're not going to be alive, but I see a day when computers do it, and not just do it, but do it better than we ever possibly but could. But if the computers do it, don't the humans who program those computers actually do it through the tool of the computer? None of the computers are... I, I, you know, yeah, it's, what? It's, what the, are they? it's the weird sci-fi garbage here, right? Where you start to see this time when... Sentient, maybe? You, you have the, the first... You yeah, you have the first sentient computer, and... That's the first one you need. It can it can build everything else for you. You can do all the rest of the work. It can do everything. Only and, nine, and, nine, and improve nine, on nine. itself. And improve on itself. And eventually you're going to have artistic mm. senient computers. Hey, well, they, Carl, but before you start anything, I'd like to ask you something. Did sure. you write your music or did your parents write it? Did I write my hey, oh, That's an that's interesting an question. That's an awesome question, Jeff. <laughs> oh, that's Jeff Marvin come, Minsky there, man. Jeff comes out from the, behind the soundboard to ask the the the, the toughie. The toughie. <laughs> well, what's the answer, Carl? I, I think, I, I don't know, but I'm going to claim responsibility for it. I think simple RNA chains well, probably. Well, then it, I, I know, think that, um, that you know, soup on the earth. That, that whatever software ends up uh, writing music someday, if it's possible, you know, I think that that software should take credit for the music. Um, I think the programmer can take um, a little bit of credit for it, and I think that, you know, your parents can take some credit for the music that you write, but, you know. Well, it, we are the people our parents warned us about. Jeff, go <laughs> away. You're sounding smarter than everybody else on the show put together, all right? That, that's why I stay <laughs> behind the soundboard. you are going to be able to mute that guy from out here. Yeah, well, I control you. I can make so, you. Sounds sorry, really Bob. bad. Well, no, no, nothing this is like the way. Wizard I mean, of Oz. The, now you guys know who runs the show. The interesting thing here really is about the role, role of human creativity. Here's something that machines just can't do, and human creativity is one of them. That making that dumb mistake that you learn from. Right. 
Now they try. We can try, you know, over and over again. But doing that for a machine is very, very hard. And they certainly and I'm can't not even laugh. Sure there's any profit in it, right? So now, and what we've done, what I, a cultural, not culture, excuse me, a culture and civilization mean two different things to me. Well, actually, as a culture, what we've done is all those things that make you know humans humans, we've sort of taken out of the human experience. You know, and it's made look, okay. and, no, and everybody's wondering why the code doesn't ship. Do you mean that? because a lot of the things that have defined us are the things that we have done all throughout these thousands of years just to survive? I'm speaking more essentially of the skills one needs to connect the dots. I mean, okay. we've taken it at the public school level, if indeed public school has ever been about education, that's another issue. But, we've, you know, we're eliminating music, we're eliminating art, we're eliminating literature. Um, I mean, that the whole idea of, and human creativity isn't Preach on, man. Preach on. What? Preach on. Oh, it isn't nihilism. Human creativity isn't about, you know, taking buckets of paint and throwing them against the wall, like Pollock. Some of the best artists I know were brilliant people. Brilliant. I mean, I think of Milton Babbitt over at Princeton, who is, I have issues with his music, but it's human creativity, and the guy's the head of the mathematics department. I, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this, but, I, you know, my definition of, well, I can't define it, but the kind of things that I like when I look at art, when I look at music, when I look at anything in the arts, whether it's dance or what have you, is that it has there's criteria and everybody has criteria for something that is either junk or art or meaningful or not meaningful to me i have to i have to get a sense that somebody put some thought and some work behind what they're doing and that's why you know people like andy warhol pissing on a piece of copper and hanging it up in his art gallery and selling it for 10 million dollars just really pissed me off well, and people like people like John Cage, who would come out in a concert, and the whole the concert was twenty three pages of nothing, and he'd sit at a piano and turn the pages during you know and and just count, and to let the people experience the nothingness. Do I need to pay fifty bucks to go to a concert to have some guy not play the piano after the first two minutes? I get it. You know I, what I mean? Actually, I talked to I met John Cage and talked to him about that. Okay, so he's a celebrity because of it. And no, no, that's I want to hear his but... thinking behind it if you want to hear it. Well, I, understand, I think I get it. I think I get the thinking is that we spend so much time being stimulated that, you know, that it's actually quite jarring and scary to sit in a room full of people and hear nothing. And, and that has more of a, a performance, if you will, associated with it that comes from you, not from the artist and what the artist is trying to put over. But I get that. Can, can, can I be a jerk and backtrack a little? Sure. Sure. I, I just wanted to talk about the creativity thing for just a second. And this is really important to developers, which is why I bring it up, okay? Um, Bob, you were talking about cutting out the arts programs and the extracurricular activities in schools and things like that. And that's kind of cutting out perspective, right? And, and, and it's cutting out those extra bits of information that you can apply to new problems in a way to be creative. I, I, went, to a, uh, I went to a talk at a Portland game developer user group by this guy, Chris Crawford, who was like an industry veteran. I mean, he's been around for a long time. He shipped a lot of products. And he said something that was really interesting. He said a lot of things that actually kind of pissed me off. But one thing was really interesting. He said, creativity is just the application of disparate ideas to each other from, dis from different disciplines and coming out with a whole new thing, right? It it it's taking that bit of perspective and coming out with something totally brand new, like genetic algorithms, right? I mean, that's some creative stuff. That's something where you're starting out with two totally different ideas and you're, you're mixing them to come up with a whole new solution. It's something that's not going to occur in a place where the only discipline is programming, 
right? You had to apply knowledge from a whole other discipline in order to make this happen. Um, or I guess in your case, going to Greece in order to understand what's happening in, in the States, getting yourself outside of that situation and seeing the way things are happening someplace else and applying those thoughts to the previous place, taking two different ideas and squashing them together to come up with something creative. So cutting out those programs is definitely a way of cutting out perspective, which is a way of cutting down on creativity. And before you respond, Bob, I want to tell people that this is the time of the show where we ask them to submit the uh, submit the namespace of the week. However, we did not have a namespace this week, and you are correct if you are wondering what the heck it was. Um, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> well, These things happen. That's yeah. okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask that you go to www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks if you're listening live, and you tell me what namespace uh, or what class in what namespace is used to load a picture into a picture box. So go ahead and do that now. No, and it's not system.rory.jetlag. <laughs> Although you are accurate. He does have jet lag, but uh, yeah. that's not it. And it's not nothing either. So uh, go ahead and respond, Bob. Um, well, let, let, well, the response... Um well, I mean, the whole cage thing is interesting in, in itself. Yeah, and I'm sorry I cut you off. No, 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 that, that, that's fine. Yeah, you did, you, that, that's good. Um, it, what, what's interesting, let me explain this. I, I, I understand why musicians make great programmers, and I want to tell you why. I want to know why. Okay, so, abstract, I have my own theories. Okay, here it comes. You've got to be quiet. Okay. <laughs> abstract constructs. That's what I've said. That's exactly okay, what yeah, I've said. Okay, I've got to be quiet. I gotta, oh, sorry. So okay, so I'll relax here for just okay, a second. Okay, relax. Yeah. Relax, okay. I'm just happy so to here's, agree. Here's, I know, I know, but I want to give, I want to give the, the listeners an example yeah. of what I mean by that, yeah. why musically it works. First of all, as we all know, movies and software only exist in your mind. There is no word. You pick up CD, you know, you pick up the CD of Word or Linux, there's no operating system there. It's only through experience that you actually understand the operating system or the application. Well, the same can be said of music, i.e. a melody. So you're walking down the street, and you know, and out of one window you hear a whole lot of love, right? And then you say, oh, that's Led Zeppelin, a whole lot of love. I understand that. I can recognize that. That's pattern recognition, which Peter Code talks about a lot. And then you walk down the street a little more, and then you hear this thing, you know, Beethoven, this thing, da-da-da-da, coming out the other window. You say, oh, I know that. That's Beethoven. None of those things exist except in your mind. And because we can identify them, quantify them, and manipulate them, we become programmers. That's why we do it. I, I just Very want good. to say that that is so right on. If, if you go back and you listen to the, the show where Chris Ellis and I are hosting, we had this discussion, and that's what I that's kind of what I thought too. I didn't put it as eloquently, you know. But uh, right. But so along my, my, lines, my question is then how come? What I, I've been in a lot of. Well, well, hang on, Bob. Uh, I also have a theory about this that's not okay. quite yours. Okay. And my theory is that. Musicians, in particular, instrumentalists, and I would say piano players and guitar players, mostly guitar players, but instrumentalists that have to learn an instrument. Uh, the process of learning an instrument and practicing an instrument and, and practicing for a performance is very, very similar to the process of writing a piece of software. And the reason, and, and yes, you do deal with those abstracts, but I would go even further to say that it's a quality of being able to work very quickly. From a uh, go very quickly from a low level to a high level and zoom in and out. And what I mean by that is, you work on your technique as an instrumentalist. You you practice your scales. You practice the nuance. You pa you practice over and over again a riff or a line, until you get the technical part of it right. And then you have to zoom out and you have to play the piece and you have to say, you know, does that fit? Does that work? Oh no, I have something else that I want to do here. 
and then you zoom in again and you work out the details. So when you're programming, you, you look at the overall application or the overall big picture, and then you have to zoom in on these little little members, little properties, little methods, little subs, and, and in these little constructs where you have to do the minutiae. But it's the ability to zoom in and out very quickly, I think, that makes a good guitar player a good guitar player, and it also makes a good programmer a good programmer. I, I wanted to say I, I agree, wait, wait. And, it, oh. and it's also what you what you touch upon, which I, I really um, which really resonates for me is what you know my friend Jim McCarthy calls you know ship time. Now it's time to ship the product. Right. You know we know software never dies. It just comes a point when we say it's time to ship. Right. And you, and people in the performing arts really understand that. You can all really see it. As I'm sure you're doing a gig tonight. I'm sure at some point you're going to zoom right down. Right. You know, and it's it's time it's time to ship. You know, time to ship. Um. Yeah, so I guess my, 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 my gripe here was um, that I was about to say is that there's a, there's a lot of so, there's huge rooms of software being developed out there. Hundreds of thousands of people still in this country everywhere are making software. And yet when I go to these places, and I've been in many, many, many large um, IT shops, and I never see a guitar. I mean, in, you know, yeah, Microsoft, you'll see them in the younger ones in New York, you know, at the media places. But, you know, in down and out banking, you know, you never see, I, I rarely see, I don't know never, but I rarely see any sort of musical instrument. I rarely see any place where people can go and just paint a picture right. or even watch a film. Right. You know, yeah. and now the question about productivity. Well, somebody's work, you know, like um, somebody is willing to go and spend, you know, uh, $6,000 per seat to increase, man, you know, productivity over man hours. They hopefully on a piece of tool, right? But, you know, how much is a box of, you know, giving somebody an hour a day a box of crayons and a sketch pad and saying, it's important that you go in there and do this for 30 minutes. Right. You know, like, help me understand the cost benefit, you know, the lack of cost benefit there. Well, the problem, though, is that a lot of people confuse the process with the end, right, or, or with the motivation. I mean, you, you have people who paint by numbers, and you get these horrible clipper ships that are hanging in hotels on, right. on coasts all over the place. And then you get people who actually paint, you know, and there's a difference, right? You, you, you get people who sit down and they can play a clarinet solo or, or, or actually what they do is they'll just do clarinet exercises over and over and over and they over translate again. And this, the music. this person might be a fine uh, uh, person, a fine clarinetist or whatever you call him, but not necessarily a fine musician, right? Well, that, and, that, that, and, that, and in the same way, you have people who can definitely lay out lines of code one after the other to get something to work, but you're not going to look at that code and say, well, it's aesthetically pleasing. Why or, not? or this person cares why, why, about why, it. Wait, slow down the music. Why wouldn't you look at a piece of code and saying it's aesthetically pleasing? No, you would if the person is not just um, using the code as a means to get a particular job done. Well, I think done, that it's, right? the thing is it has to work within the construct, work well with the other players in the software. You know, it has to work together. Right. Well, as we all know from playing in improvisational bands, that's built in. Uh, yeah, well, not necessarily with code. Sure. And so, sure. well, it, okay, I mean, but but if we're playing in A flat and you're playing in A on the sax, you know, there's a problem there. Right, but so, that, that's a, that's a very small part of the music. That that that's tonal music, and then yeah. you sort of have rules going in. I mean, when we pick a platform, if we say, okay, we're doing dot net, well, we've I think, already I think we've beat the metaphor to death. Well, I, I just want to. Say, I, what what <laughs> I'm saying is that is that we have people who paint by numbers, and we have artists. And they're completely different. We have people who can sit down and do clarinet exercises, yeah, and, and we have people who can actually produce music. Disagree. Mm-hmm. Every human being on the face of the earth is creative and has the potential for unlimited creativity. And here's my little line. People come to me. I've, I've done this one. They say, I'm not creative. I'm just, just not. And I say, have you ever had kids? Right. They say, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, help me understand if there's nothing more creative than making a kid. 
Yeah. You know, and they look up at me like, oh, man, that counts. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally agree with you. I I, I don't think that, uh, you know, being a groovy person, you know, uh, means that you're not an artist or whatever. Let me scratch that. I think that I think that there's a lot of people who are good at it and therefore, you know, tend to look down on the people who aren't good at it. Right. And that goes back to what the culture we've built. Artistic elitism. If that's you yeah, that's one thing I want to say. I'm not an elitist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I didn't I wasn't implying that yeah. Rory was. Especially an since my music is sloppy and all over the place. <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely not an elitist. I just see the world one way. But you can tell when some when something is good and when it isn't. I mean, to you, to your ears, and it's aesthetically pleasing and it's not. Well, I just want to tell people that nobody got the the actual uh, class. Nobody got the class. Well, one person got the class right. But it was only it was a guy who won before, so I'm going to give you a second chance, and I'll explain it a little better this time. The class I'm looking for is the class that's used to load a graphics file, like a GIF file or a JPEG file, from the disk and put it in a picture box, the one that actually has the load property on it. All right, do I have to spell it out for you? So there you go. If the next person to hit me with that answer on the website is going to win a box of something, they're going to win a box of uh, crayon Windows no. Server, two, Windows be, Server 2003 Standard yeah. Edition. And they can't have one before. That's also the other stipulation. So so we're obviously winding down. Bob, you're going to be at TechEd, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll be down there. I just want to say, I don't want to sound like a stalker, but I'm going to seek you out and absolutely have a conversation with you, unless you're too busy. Well, no, I, I plan to be very little busy. I mean, I spend a lot of time <laughs> trying to make friends these days. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that. To code. Yeah, I, I've definitely enjoyed this interview, and you, you, you're you're somebody that I'd love to sit down and just have a whatever you drink, orange juice, um, Mad Dog, uh, <laughs> turpentine. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, we'll, not we'll my hook business, up. Well, yeah, we'll definitely yeah. spend time together. Yeah, and if uh, and if not, you know, LA is not that far away either, man. There's lots of stuff happening up here. Sure. This really is. Um, this really is everything they've said about it. Yeah. <laughs> Good and bad. Yep. Well, it looks like uh, looks like we don't have a winner. I'm so, I can't spell it out any more plainly than that. Uh, nobody is uh, nobody's hitting me with the right. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Nope, we do have a winner. It's uh, Chris Coot. Chris Coot, and the winner, uh, the winning class is System Drawing Bitmap. Yeah, Chris, you won. Bravo, bravo, bravo. And that's after about. 25 wrong answers. So, Chris, you should feel proud of yourself. Um, one other guy got it right, of course, before you, before you did, but he had won before. So there you go. Well, um, We Bob, don't you like any... repeat winners around here. <laughs> so, Bob, do you have any last-minute uh, words of wisdom that you want to impart on our listening audience before we wrap it up? Yes, I do. Here it is. <laughs> in terms of being an American, an American coder, the, the greatest asset we have is our creativity. Here, here is our creativity. We're the best at it. I mean, look, take a look around the world and go take a look at what other people produce and what we produce. And if you look at the remaining industries really left in this country is, are, excuse me, entertainment and defense. And entertainment is all about creativity. Yes, it is. So be more creative. That's my, clo- my Defense is all words. about destructivity. So on behalf of myself and Rory and the listening public, Bob, I want to thank you very much for coming on .NET Rocks and cool. talking about Coding Slave. What a great book. And Yeah, buy the book, you freeloaders. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, we'll see you later, and we'll talk to you next time. Okay, later. Bye-bye.